Hello everyone, this is Rico, and you're listening to Treks in Sci-Fi. I have no idea what show number this is. <laughs> 447? Does that sound right, Chris? I think. Sure. <laughs> Alright, I'm looking really fast. Whoa, this is this is good. This is good as John C. Dvorak on the tech show said. This is good radio. He always calls it radio when you're podcasting. No, 447 was last week. See, I don't know that because I didn't do that show. That was those alien ship guys. That was yep. that was the uh, you know Rick Moyer and and Jedi Jeff and Brian who did another very cool show on 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 ships of Trek the alien ships but this is four four eight it is going to be going out on August the fourth I got to change my calendar I'm still on July August fourth twenty thirteen and with me if you haven't figured that out yet is Chris over Skype uh, say hello Chris I'm sorry Rico I'm afraid <laughs> I can't do that. <laughs> Open, open the pod sky, Skype doors, Hal, Chris, yes. Oh, it, it's such a calming movie. Anyway, you guys, if you haven't figured it out yet, and I probably slide, it slipped in some music at the beginning of today's show, we're going to talk all about, and, you know, here, almost 450 podcasts, and I looked hard, and I think I've mentioned th- these films and a little bit in the past. I was like, okay, if I really never covered... 2001 a space odyssey i mean come on i want to smack myself right here in the head here i go you hear that i'm smacking myself right now so we're going to cover 2001 2010 we're going to talk about the books that never got made into movies 2061 and 3001 right yep and uh i mean i think for the most part we'll be focusing on the two movies the books of those and and we'll cover the other stuff a little bit towards the end this will obviously uh, be a spoiler show, especially for the two movies and, and, the, and the associated books that are out. I don't know if we're going to give a lot away on the other books. Uh, I think we'll maybe not try not to. I, I, I enjoy those books, but I, you know, I think people should get a chance to read them. But these movies have been out for a while, so I, I, you know, pretty much anything goes at this point for this stuff. If we get into anything else, we'll talk about it uh, as uh, as we go through the show. So Chris Clemente is with me today. Yay now! Hey, <laughs> I keep hearing this chirping. Is that is that is that a, is that are those bugs? Are you being are you being invaded by mosquito down there in Florida? <laughs> well, we had the Sharknado problem. Oh my God, time. Sharknado! What an awesome idea, right? Combine sharks and tornadoes—the two disaster sci-fi movies. Oh, I didn't watch it, but you know, it just sounds like a fantastic idea. No, that is actually my. Uh... Stupid uh, parakeet, not parakeet, uh, cockatiel that we inherited. Oh, okay. And it always right. picks this time. Any time where I really want it to be quiet is when it decides to. <laughs> All right. Well, at least we're telling the uh, the audience of of what that noise is, so they're not like looking around wherever they're at and going, "What the heck is that?" You know. So uh, I don't have a fortress of chrisitude, unfortunately. It just like sounds, you, you know, like you're out in nature. That's what I thought it was. It sounds like you're recording out in your backyard or something. So uh, I, not know. today. It's like it was like 105 with the heat index. Oh my god! This I was ridiculous. telling Lynn at dinner tonight. You know. Uh, we're up here at least in the great northwest north not i, I waited when i my mark out you know or rick moyer now in the in the in the white north of michigan you know i mean the summer up here has been you know as arnold would say it's been fantastic you know it's been so good we've had lots of rain you know oh i really want to do conan the destroyer we'll have to do that sometime <laughs> No, I mean, we haven't had that much really, really hot, intense weather. We had about a week, maybe two weeks-ish of it, 
And yeah. I mean, today was like a 75 degree day with sun. Oh. I mean, it's been raining a lot. Things are green. I, I mean, it's just, it's been basically the perfect summer. It hasn't been too hot. It hasn't been too cold. It's been raining when we need it. And uh, it's been great. So, so there, Mr. Florida. You know what I would do for a 75 degree day <laughs> right now? <laughs> yeah, I know it's hot in a lot of other areas. And I, I don't know what it is with, a, you know, how we're getting this. Because we really should be much hotter than this. I mean, we've not, I mean, we even had, let's see, the maybe last week, early last week or the week before that. I, I, my my uh, car, when I left work for work one morning at about 630, it was like 49 Wow. Fahrenheit in the morning, yeah, at six thirty or six in the morning or whatever, yeah. So uh, I mean, I mean, it was getting. There was a couple of nights it was getting down there where it was like, okay, it's it's July. Do I need to turn the heat on? Come on, <laughs> spray some more aerosol cans. <laughs> no, don't please. I can't handle the heat anymore. <laughs> yeah, but any anyway, enough about our weather reports. Um, we're going to talk just a little bit about a couple things uh, before we get into the big movies and Arthur C. Clarke and what the heck is that big black monolith really anyway? You know what? It, what the heck is that thing? Um, <laughs> what a great prop though when you think about it. You know, just it's so simple. I, I love it. And uh, but uh, the one thing I was going to talk about, and Chris has got something he wants to talk about, but uh, I went to see The Wolverine last weekend. I'm not going to give out any spoilers, but this is a really good movie. It's it's a really solid movie. I've heard, I listened to this iFanboy podcast where these guys know their comics, and they've been covering the comic book movies as they come up. They do a special show. And these guys went as far as saying that, you know, that they liked this maybe as, as the best summer comic book movie this year it was kind of maybe a little bit of a split on on man of steel but um but they loved it and they they you know they they really liked it a lot you know it makes you forget all about wolverine origins and well that's good (laughs) it's just got a really solid story the characters are done well it's not over the top one guy put it on the show that i agree with completely in even though i enjoyed man of steel uh but and, and, you know, I like the Avengers and all this, but this movie does not have, you know, big buildings falling down everywhere. And it doesn't have this like massive amounts of destruction and, and you know, 30 minutes of a fight going on and all this. This is a, just a, a uh, just a lean, great movie. And not, not to say that there isn't action. There's action. You can see that in the trailers. But uh, but it is not that kind of action. You know, it, it's just really well done. I always thought Wolverine fits so well into you know, Japan and that setting, you know, he's, 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 you know, he's sort of a Ronin, this, this lone samurai kind of guy that goes around and, you know, he's got built in swords. So what do you want? And, uh, <laughs> but it's a good movie. I won't say too much about it. Uh, cause it's just come out. To, and if you like comics, if you like Wolverine, Hugh Jackman, I mean, my God, the guy is like, I want to know his exercise tips. He needs to put out the Hugh Jackman DVD, you know, workout tape. Although I put a picture up on the forum and Facebook the other day of him lifting like 400 plus pounds. <laughs> did you see that? Yeah. He says if it isn't, what did he see? He, he said if it ain't, it, if, if it, it ain't, ain't bending. Yeah. If it ain't bending, you just pretending, you know, it's That's basically right. the bar that he's got this weight on is just bending. I mean, this guy's, uh, yeah, he's, uh, he is certainly he looks the part uh, in in the movie and and it, he can just really sell it you know when he's he's doing what he does in this movie and again I don't want to say too much you you just really buy it you know you just um, 
it just works really well. And he's got this character. I mean, he's played him, you know, for a lot of years now. He's got him down. And uh, and they just do some great stuff with this. And they do pay kind of attention to what's happened to him in the past. So in the past films, at least, I should say so. Uh, but, yeah, great movie. Go see it. Yeah, and that's one of the one of my favorite um, storylines Frank Miller wrote. Uh, that was like the actual first time Wolverine was in his own uh, title was that four-issue miniseries, which is set in Japan. So. Yep, yep. And there's uh, definitely stuff that they hit upon. It's not a, you know, page panel by panel thing, but there, there's, you know, they they definitely pay attention to what what has come in comics. So that's cool. I uh, I definitely need to get to see that. I had to have a delay in that, but maybe tomorrow. I don't think I'm doing anything, so I might go see it tomorrow. Yeah, definitely. Don't let it, uh, you know, there's going to be other stuff coming out. Elysium's next weekend, and uh, there's uh, Kick-Ass 2 after that, I think. And yeah, That's the thing about the summer. It's kind of like if you, if you miss a few, then it becomes like, you know, I've seen places where people went to see, try to see a movie a couple of weeks later, and it wasn't even like in the theater anymore. I know. Because they get so pushed weird. out. It's so weird. That's and that's another reason why movies used to make so much more money in the older days because they were out for two years or something like. Star yeah, Wars, that's a know? good point. Yeah, well, there weren't nearly as many coming out. I mean, I mean, just the numbers of movies coming out is is just crazy. You know, and they didn't have the number of theaters either. Yeah, and the, or the number of prints. So it would take a while sometimes before every town would get these movies. So the releases were a lot longer. Now every town's got a multiplex in it. So. Oh yeah, I mean they're just. I go, I go, I can go buy like three or four of them just on my drive home from work. I mean, they're they're just all over up here at least. So, the great thing is they come out on Blu-ray so fast that even if you miss them, it's like, eh, well, <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. true. I just like I I still really enjoy going to the movies. You know, I I just like the experience until it gets crazy. You know, everyone comments on when I always throw out there. You know, I just went to see Wolverine and I only spent six bucks. You know, it's, yeah, it's crazy. I, you know, I, I go to a matinee up here, even on the weekends, and, and it costs me six bucks. And uh, and it's in a good, good theater. This isn't a cheap theater. And, it, you know, it's good sound, good, good big screen and, and all that. So, uh, but, you know, in some big cities, I know people spend like even a matinee is more than 10, you know, even sometimes. And at night, it's ridiculous. And I, it, if it starts getting to basically the cost of a Blu-ray, I'm going to. I wouldn't go to nearly as many. Like during the summer, I'm going almost every weekend to see yeah. something. So, uh, but I, if they get, you know, if they start getting more expensive to go to, I think they're going to be, that's a mistake. I, I, well, I think it is if you go with your wife and the kids. Oh, yeah. No, no. You know? Yeah. No question. So it's like yeah. when we all go out, it's sort of like we tell the kids, pick a couple movies, you know, that you want to go see because, geez, Louise, I mean, and then they get in there and then, you know, you you get the, uh, the the candy and the popcorn for the price of a nice filet mignon dinner, you know. And oh, like, the food is ridiculous. The cost. Ri- the cost. I mean, I know. I know why. My my older son worked in a the theater for a while, and everyone kind of knows this. I mean, it's basically the only place they make their money. You know, they don't, I, and they they don't make hardly any money off ticket sales, even where they've priced it high. I don't know. Maybe those big theaters in big cities have to pay more for the rights to show the movie too. Well, our matinees are nine dollars here, or nine fifty. Wow! Yeah, wow. and not only that, when you tell them they have you have kids, they look at you like, yeah. So, because when I was it, like the kid prices were reasonably cheaper. It was like you don't even get like a dollar or two off for the kids. You must get. I a don't little, think so. You know, yeah. it's regal. It's regal cinemas. I don't know. I mean, yeah, and they're they're pretty expensive, and 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 it's like 
the re- this is just the theater that's right by me. It's like more and more times I go to the movies and their sound isn't great. They don't like I want it when I go to the movies. I want all those channels. You know, I want to hear. I want to feel the movie. You know, and the sound isn't great. I got somebody sitting behind me that's going to tell you the whole movie as it goes or what they think is going to happen. And then they're getting up ten times during the movie. I mean. You know that's what that's what bother. I love going to the movies. If it's if you go to the, if I go to the movies, there's just a few people in there. I'm happy because yeah. you know. But when, when it's like kind of full and like this etiquette nowadays is taking a turn for the worse. Especially I'll tell you a story there. Uh, I went a few weeks ago with my friend Mark. I forget what we were seeing that week, but uh, for the first time ever, I had uh, I had actually somebody tell us to be quiet. Tell me, tell me to, and and this this was the situation. They had just started the trailers. The movie hadn't started yet. Yeah. Just the first trailer, within 30 seconds, a minute of the first trailer. In our theaters up here, they don't really even... They, they slightly dim the lights when the trailers start to play, and then they fully dim them, you know, in the movie. So right. there's still people shuffling around. There's still people coming in. This guy's sitting behind us, and we weren't really talking that loud. We were just catching up on a few things and chatting, but this guy says... Oh, uh, could you guys, you know, he he didn't say it in a bad way, really. I mean, he he just said, "Hey, could you guys stop talking?" And, and I'm like, "Dude, there's people, you know, I didn't I didn't say this, but I'm like, this is the way movies work. Let me explain it to you. I go all the time. Trailers are going, there's still people coming in, going to the bathroom, finding their seats, you know, opening their candy bars up and all this stuff. So, <laughs> there's this sort of rule of until that little, you know, message comes on the screen or the, they're actually up here there's this they play this little video clip of this guy who owns the theater chain, and he's like, hi, I'm such and such. Could we now ask you to silence all your cell phones? The feature's about to begin and stop talking. That, that's kind of the cue when he says that, that, you know. So I was like, uh, okay, yeah, we will. But, I mean, I've never <laughs> I've never had that happen. And the whole place is still noisy. You know, like I said, there's still people walking in. There's still people opening right. up their candy, finding their seats and all this. And, and, and they have, like, 10 minutes of trailers, too. I know so, that's the other so. thing. You know, don't ever. But anyway, it was movie, funny. Don't ever go to a movie think your movie's going to start anywhere near the starting time. It's utterly ridiculous. How long have you sitting there? You know, but I feel the trailers is my grace period. I give people. Yeah, you know I mean? no, no, no. I, I mean, I've been in movies where the movie has started and it's like five minutes into the movie and there's still people doing that, coming in, sitting down, opening stuff up, and I don't really make a big deal out of it. It doesn't bug me that much. Um, but uh, but I just thought it was kind of funny and, and and stuff. Yeah. So I mean, most of the time I usually lock out and have a you know I don't really have any problems with either you know bad sound or projection and all that. I did have one time years ago where the movie played for maybe a couple of minutes and then it just completely blanked out, no sound, no picture, and we waited there for a little while and then finally this person comes into the theater and says, ah. Uh, yeah, this projector or whatever system they were using at the time is 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 broken. Can you all come with me? And they actually took us to another theater in the same place, <laughs> sat us all down, and within maybe like five minutes, that the movie we wanted, you know, we had paid to see starts. It was the weirdest wow. thing. Yeah, something burned out or something in their projection system, and and we went. Yeah. They had another theater. I don't know how they rearrange that. Oh, you know, when they do that, but uh, but then we we all went to this other theater and uh, watched it. It was weird. So. Yeah, I want the only time I've really gotten into a disagreement was uh, when we went to see. So I took my uh, my friend of mine and my kid went to see Spider Man last year, and this girl in front of me was not only was she texting, but like she was holding her phone up, 
You know, oh, like I yeah. was, I was sure. behind her, so like they're I'm bright. Watch the, yeah, yeah, it's super bright. And she was about fourteen, and I said, and I my friends looking at you smacked her to the just, ground, didn't you? you so I like it. leaned fo I I I I leaned forward, and since I have four children. I know how to turn on the dad voice. Yeah. <laughs> I leaned forward and I said, will you put that away? Please? And she put it away and never took it back again. I'm like, oh, great. Still works. I guess it works on other kids, too. It just doesn't work on my Oh, yeah. I, I know what it is. Yep, yep. You know, yep. so that's, that's there's just, whatever. I, I, you know, the theater is great. So I love going to see movies on the big screen. Yeah, uh, but you're right, though. And if it's expensive and you got a lot of people to take. But, um, hey, yep. you wanted to talk a little bit about something in Batman Superman. You know, they're doing that movie, right? Uh, yes, it's coming. That was the big announcement. I don't know. You probably brought this up. Maybe you haven't been on since comic-con i don't com- I, I think comic-con all most of that news yeah i don't think i and if i have so what it doesn't matter but uh anyway the big yeah i did news, talk about it a little bit but yeah go ahead the big news is that they're making the superman batman movie the dc movie universe is finally underway you know like it's always been one of those things like why can't they make a movie with these characters you know yeah so what they do you think finally- about them taking you know right after the this superman reboot thing and and then having the next movie be including such a big other you know yeah. thing this, do you think that's a good idea really i mean this yeah. is gonna sound like like horrible nerd complaining yeah and before and this going to there's no way around it but I am a huge uh, Superman fan. I'm a huge Batman fan. They they both are equal in my eyes. I love both yeah. of them. They're so different. Uh-huh. I'm kind of um, about the same on that. Yeah, I think yeah, I. Yeah, you know. Yeah. I mean, I love the, the like. I love different things. Like I love the Bat family. I love the Bat Batman. Um, the whole stuff mm-hmm. that goes on. I, I'm really enamored with it. I'm enamored with Superman and his story. And by the way, power. on the Batman side, just a quick side note: that new animated series. I don't know if you had a chance to see it yet. Uh, it's called the uh, the Batman. No, um, I haven't seen it. Yet. It's um, I just watched another episode. It's on Saturdays on on Disney XD or Disney whatever. Just search your listings. It's good though. It's good. It, yeah. Check it out. Um, but anyway, go ahead. So. Um, they, you know, I think Man of Steel, I think, you know, a lot of people were mixed. I was not. I saw it a few times and, and enjoyed it uh, every time a little bit more. Um, but I think it ended on a great, I think it ended on a great point. I, uh-huh. uh, sort of Clark being where you want him to be and like, you know, sort of being able to be Superman, you know what I mean? And be the yeah, hero. Right. And now they they want to do Superman and Batman as the sequel, which... I mean, it's exciting because we're going to see a different interpretation of Batman, most likely. Yeah. Um, I, it's two characters that probably everybody's wanted to see together on, on film for sure. Sure, it's, at some point, yeah. Yeah, but I really was hoping that we could have, you know, a Superman movie that was you know, it's about Superman. And, yeah. Uh, another one. And I think, I don't know if they're, I what it's coming down to is that they are very like anxious just to get this movie universe started and they don't want to have <clears throat> well it looks obviously like they want to run on on the co- <coughs> the coattails the literally the the cape tails we'll call it of of right. uh, of a successful superman movie and throw a new most likely a new actor uh you know playing batman slash bruce wayne in there um and so my, i'm thinking movie has got to do a lot of business like you know that like i would love it if batman is just batman already and which he probably will be but you know they're gonna have 
or do we do does anybody after the last decade or 20 years have to see Bruce Wayne's family get killed again does anybody <laughs> have you know what i mean we this is, i'm I, i'm i'm going to say it right now if they do an origin story it's like we don't need it everybody knows it everybody in history knows it it's everybody that exists in this yeah. country i think people know that. it more than they know some other things <laughs> right exactly you know, some things maybe they should know more right. but uh, people know more about this America than they do of what's actually in their constitution. Yeah, but they know they know it. Oh, we so have a constitution. Like, what's that about? Yeah, I don't know. Uh, Isn't that yeah. wasn't that uh, on that planet Omega Four? Yeah, that's anyway. right. Yeah, <laughs> I want nine phasers and ten phaser power packs beamed that's, down. Yeah, another lunatic captain. Yeah, um, well, it's command. It drives you crazy. What do you want? Yeah. <laughs> so anyway, I. I mean, my first thing is, do we, I don't want another origin piled into a Superman movie. It's like, all right, you want Batman to show up, or you want Superman to find out about Batman, and there's Batman. He's like, yeah. Well, we'll see. I, we'll see what they, then, uh, you know, they've. Uh, it, it's hard to say. At first, it was making the, you know, the first thing when the announcement came out, they made it sound like it wasn't going to be a big part of the movie. Right. That was the first stuff getting thrown around that I heard was like he was just going to sort of pop in, you know, like a cameo almost. Hey, Clark. And then, yeah, yeah, more like more like this though. You got to go like, I am the night, you know, Clark. Get away from me. I've got kryptonite. But uh, but anyway, you know now. But now it's like turning into this big like they're they're saying it's going to be like a big, you know, they're going to fight and stuff. And, this and, is so and, dumb. And, and and I'm like, ah, really, really? Yeah. yeah and and. So, so my my other thing is they're they're drawing apparently drawing some inspiration from the Dark Knight Returns, which is the best, probably the best Batman story ever told. But they, they um, need some history between them for that, right? You know what I mean? That and, that just doesn't. I I don't see how that works out of context. I just don't see like. You know, I don't know. I, I I guess they bump into each other, and it's like I don't want you to do this, and I don't want you to do this. Okay, well, I guess we're gonna fight, you know, and the gloves come off or whatever. But yeah, but I mean, you know. Batman should have no idea. But I mean, my main my main issue with that is that Frank Miller, who wrote The Dark Knight Returns, he hates Superman. You can it's obvious the way he writes him. He writes him in Dark The Dark Knight Returns is like a government stooge. Yeah, you know what I mean. Right. And it's like I don't want and 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 Zack Snyder's going to meet with Frank Miller. It's like the Dark Knight Returns only works because Superman's been around forever. Batman's been around forever. They have like you said this history where they their their friendship is kind of. Yeah, and, not to mention that that why would Batman if they're just meeting up have this suit that he basically can fight suit it, it it just doesn't it doesn't all I, I don't see how you can make it all mush together right. i i really it don't does, but batman we'll versus see. superman in man of steel uh if i was batman i wouldn't go anywhere near that guy that's just my <laughs> oh yeah i i, I you know just I mean? well they haven't for one thing you know truthfully you know they're, they're, i mean there's just so much they haven't really you know, one of the things I would have liked to see more of Clark, and, and I mentioned that I think when we talked about Man of Steel, but you know, more of the Clark Kent character on the Daily Planet. But I mean, they never, you know, they intentionally didn't bring Kryptonite, for example, into into Superman's, you know, into Man of Steel. Right. So without that, you need that, you know, for Batman to have a chance for one thing a little bit. You know, it's going to be used at some point. So they got to introduce that, and it's just we'll see. I mean, we're not really, you know. I think this is just two comic book guys talking about. Well, you yeah. know, I, I mean, hopefully it'll it'll work out. It just was surprising to me, you know. I this to me seems more like a move you would do if this, the Man of Steel movie hadn't done so well. 
Like, okay, well, let's up the ante now. Let's throw Batman in there too. You know, but Man of Steel is like three hundred million domestic. It's done just fine. Yeah, and it, I think it could support at least. Oh, another certainly sequel. one of the big hits of the summer. You know, and yeah. I mean, yeah. There's so we'll we'll see. We'll just keep watching. Um, but right. let's take a. Uh, I'm gonna let's take a short break. I'll play. I'll play a little 2001 uh, music or something clip to get us in the mood, and then uh, and then we'll come back and and, and start digging into. Uh, Digging into this monolith thing, you know. What's up? Come on, you know. <laughs> Hal, can you sing a song for us? <laughs> I'm getting easy, ahead of myself, yeah. <laughs> easy. <laughs> All right, we'll be right back. Okay. So we're back, and we're just going to cover a little thing called 2001 A Space Odyssey. So, um, yeah, there's this monolith thing. You know, there's these apes. There's a spaceship. Computer goes crazy. A guy goes into some weird psychedelic drug scene and uh, closing credits. Uh, And then there's this big space baby. So that's it. There you go. (laughs) How's that? How's that? There, There we go. 2001 and... 30 seconds or less. So <laughs> I think that's uh that's pretty much actually the high points. I don't know. Yeah. Well, you know the funny thing, I was gathering some clips for this movie. <laughs> it's really hard to do. I know there's, there's there I, is not very much dialogue. There's a lot of great music and yep. there there's some key dialogue at certain points, but man, it's 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 sparse and god there, the first half hour of it there's nothing unless you want to have, you know, you know, apes going crazy. Um, but anyway, in, in, let's. Uh, in the first, uh, in the first twenty-five minutes, there's no dialogue, and there's in the tw- in the last twenty-three minutes, there's no dialogue. Right, exactly. And so with those with those big parts, and then like a bunch of other stuff, it's about eighty-eight minutes of dialogue-free uh, time in the mo- in that movie. It's a crazy amount of time. Yeah, yeah. I I I I think the uh, I can't think of another movie off the top of my head. Certainly not another. Um, sci-fi type film that has that situation you know that that contact that one with Jodie Foster I remember being a kind of a quiet movie like that too which I really like that movie and and the book too that's a great Um, movie yeah but anyway so why don't you give us Chris a little bit of background on uh the story here I know you you looked up some things on the on the on the writing of where this you know the genesis of this from genesis oh (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I could just say any word. I'm such a nerd geek. You know, you can just say any word. And it just makes your, your, my wife complains. I have like this ping pong brain, you know, that just Me basically too. sees a little, gets a word or something in and I, I get off topic and then go off onto something else. I said, well, that's just because it's all connected. Everything's connected. Everything's connected. Yeah. So anyway, tell us about Arthur C. Clarke, 2001, um, and, and the, and the genesis of all this. So Arthur C. Clarke, um, 
He's uh it was born in um nineteen seventeen. Ah, it's crazy, uh, yeah. Yeah, and he's from England. Uh, he's uh, was a uh, sci-fi, big-time sci-fi writer, uh, popularizer of space travel, futurist, and inventor. That's his. That's what somebody said, anyway. Um, so he, the main thing that people remember Arthur C. Clarke for is um, being a co-writer, I guess, for two thousand and one on the screenplay. Mm-hmm. Um, but really, I mean, he was in sci-fi a long time before that. Um, and between him, the, him and um, Robert Heinlein and Isaac Asimov were known as the big three yep. of, sci- yep. of science fiction, which were ones that I, you know, gobbled up, you know, way back in the day. I mean, I, I just, you know, those yeah. guys were the guys. Yeah, yeah. There are some of my actually. Yeah, when I was a teenager, when I got into um, hard sci-fi no- uh, novels. Um, definitely, those were people that I read tons of. Um, uh, he was uh, Royal Air Force. He was a radar instructor and a technician during uh, World War II. Um, he in 1945. This is crazy. This is people say that that he was like a visionary, and it's not even a lie. In 1945, he proposed a satellite communication system. In 1945, he did that with synchronous satellites. He came up with that idea, and in in 1970, the idea won him the uh, Franklin Institute's. Stuart Ballantyne Medal, um, and he was chairman of the British Interplanetary Society from 1947 to 1950, and then in 1953. Um, but he spent most of his life in um, Sri Lanka, which is where he lived uh, most of the time. And uh, a little island like off of Africa, right? I think it, little island off Africa. I, I or is it India? I don't know. I'm going to look it up yeah. while you continue. Yeah. Anyway, he was. Uh, um, he was awarded Sri Lanka's highest civil honor, which is Sri Lanka Bimania, <laughs> and he was also knighted by Queen Elizabeth II in 1998. His actual title is, with his honors, Sri Lanka, Sri Lanka Bimania Sir Arthur Charles. Clarks. Oh yeah, you're right. It's off of off of uh, India. India. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So he he's he, he's um, I mean. To, to think in 1945 somebody could come up with the idea of geosynchronous satellites, I mean, that's pretty impressive. Oh, yeah. And, as yeah. a communications tool, which, let's face it, I mean, my DirecTV is a geosynchronous satellite, correct? <laughs> you know, that's, that's where I get my signal from. So, I mean. Oh, yeah. There's, a, uh, well, you know, people, amazing. people, you know, have, you know, there's there's a lot in Heinlein, Asimov, and, and yep. Clark's early works that have become basically you know things that we use right now only after you know 40 50 years later yeah so um so just like uh, robert howard who talked about the last time you and i got together he um got published a lot in the fanzines mm-hmm. uh, a lot first, of short stories right mm-hmm. yeah his first uh, professional story was in astounding section in 1947 uh, 46 rather it was called loophole um he also was a friend of um, C.S. Lewis, just like uh, Tolkien was. And these, it seems like a lot of these British authors back then, they all seem to know each other. Yeah, I think like they the, went down to the local pub and, you know, just had a, had a, had a pint and, and talked. And, yeah. He was a big fan of um, C.S. Lewis's Ransom Trilogy, which is a sci-fi uh, series that he wrote. And he, he thought it, would, it should be uh, um, a prime reading for sci-fi people. Sci-fi fans. Um, and in '48, he wrote the Sentinel for a BBC competition. 
Um, it was rejected, but it did change his life because it was the basis for 2001 A Space Odyssey. Right, yeah. And um, it kind of introduced the sort of um, more cosmic, higher intelligence stuff that kind of permeated his work from then on. You know, if you read Arthur C. Clarke, like Rendezvous with Rama, and any of his books, really, he he has this uh, this sort of belief that there's a higher intelligence than humans and that they're, they're, they're being humans or guiding humans. So, mm-hmm. I mean, right. that, sort, that sort of became his uh, um, motif, I guess, is one way to put it. Yeah, yeah. He, where, you know, he, yeah, there's definitely this idea of, of higher intelligence out there sort of floating around while we're still basically, you know, yeah, picking the bugs off each other, you know, out in the plains of whatever, you know, so. You can get his short stories um, in a collected stories of Arthur C. Clarke. It's a big, big book, but it's worth it. I, I bought it a while ago. I think it came out in, in 2000, around there. It's awesome. I mean, I, I love short stories written by authors that I really love. Like anything, once like Stephen King short stories. I mean, I think that sometimes a short story sort of gives these authors, like, you know, they, they make these condensed stories which tell a really amazing story in a, in a, in a short amount of pages. And I, I really enjoy uh, I really enjoy that book. Mm-hmm. If you're a fan of, maybe you haven't read any of these books, and you want to, sit and you can want to get like a taste, sort of like I have a Hemingway. I never read Hemingway, but I have like a Hemingway book of of short stories, and it yeah. kind of is a nice way for an author without having. Yeah, to read a whole, no, it's, um, it is. It's uh, it's good. So I was going to ask if um, so what's your did you. How long ago did you see 2001? Like, or I should say, what what's your memory of like when's the earliest you ever saw the movie, and well, and then when did you read the book? At what point? Well, the the thing about um, 2001 is it's not one of those movies that was. Um, it for I saw 2010 first. That's what I'll tell. Because of my age, I think uh-huh. 2010 came out in like 82. ish I can't remember the exact year. I don't have it right in front of me. I think it's 84. Four, 84. Maybe. Yeah, I might have seen. I've seen 2010 first. Uh, it was a VHS. I think I rented. And yeah, I, I 1984. Really yeah. So I was 10. I was 10. And so I saw that movie first. And you know, kind of, you're kind of. Um, if you never saw 2001, you, you're looking at this this weird stuff. But that movie's 2010s, and the story is a little bit more literal, at least with uh-huh. how the, how it presents the story. So you kind of like get intrigued about it. So I. I saw 2001 after that, and it was a VHS, and I didn't, when I was a kid, I was kind of like, this is strange, but I did read, you know, I started to read those books right around maybe a year or so, I was 11 or so, I think I started reading Arthur C. Clarke, um, and of course, I didn't understand a lot of it, but uh-huh. that's right, it's right around there, it's sort of when I, I mean, because my brain was pr- was primed for science fiction because of Star Wars and Star Trek reruns and things like that, and yeah. Next Generation, once I, I I just started reading these sci-fi books, and if I didn't understand something, I tried to find what it was. So I'd say that probably Arthur C. Clarke's probably some of the first hard sci-fi. I guess I can call it that I ever really read. So I have a, mm-hmm. not a special sort of place in my heart for for the um, Arthur C. Clarke as far as uh, you, you know, because I mean I, I would have probably been content to you know read Star Wars books or something, but you know I went 
into a different realm and 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 that's when you really know you're a sci-fi fan when you can read some of these these novels with some crazy concepts you just sort of accept it yeah i'm trying yeah. to remember you know when i knew we were going to do this show i was like trying to recall and remember when i first saw 2001 i i definitely you know i even though yes i was alive when it came out i uh i, I was too young and certainly wouldn't have grasped it so um right i i there were some theaters, they don't do it as much anymore, but at some point in time, I think I did see this movie in a theater, like, you know, where they would do some kind of special, like, release or a weekend thing in a in a local theater or wherever. It was probably the first time I ever saw it. And it, I don't think it was on TV that that was the first time. I'm pretty sure I saw it in some special showing somewhere. It couldn't even have been at a convention or something. I don't remember but then, of course, then after that, I, I, I saw it a few times on TV. I've seen it, of course, on VHS, DVD. I don't have the Blu-ray yet. We were talking before we started to record about all that. I have it on HD DVD. So do I. <laughs> <laughs> Let's bring it back, Chris. Let's do it. Just you and me. Let's bring back HD DVD. <laughs> it's just as good. The quality is just as good. It is. It is. The quality is fine. It, it, you know, there's just a whole bunch of weird politics and i don't know what you want to call it but there was you know there was not room for two of those high def formats around basically which um which is i guess the best way when you think about it to only have one so but um but the yeah so i've seen it many times over the years uh this movie for me and maybe i'm blending off from yeah i don't know if you had any more to say about arthur or or the book but we can we can swing back to that but i I was just going to say i've always really enjoyed the story i've read the book uh, and, and the movie, and, and there, there's something really to me kind of nice and sort of in a way peaceful about watching this movie. I don't know if that's the right word, but for me, it's just it's such a great depiction of you know sci-fi and, and you know what people would call hard sci-fi, and it really is. also the um, just the even though it does it has some datedness to it, the way they did it, you know, still makes it look very. Hey, this is the era of you know space travel and, and and you know this when this we can get into some of the nitty gritty of when it was filmed and when it came out and and a lot of that. But uh, you know we we hadn't I mean when when this movie this movie came out in 1968 and it was filmed you know started from about 65 I think it took to you know Stanley Kubrick and the rest of them you know spent a couple of years working on this so we hadn't even landed on the moon yet just to give people some perspective on this i know it's crazy when you think about um and yes we have landed on the moon even though people seem to still want to deny that that makes me so angry it's like the greatest <laughs> human accomplishment of all time i you know what my th- my answer to that always has been when people make that and there's some people that are very serious about it they they very seriously believe it's just all fake my answer my this is my answer you're saying that the government covered this up? The government can't cover anything up. The government's inept, you know. So that my answer is it is is it's impossible. There's no way they could cover it up. It's just not they're not good enough. So that's I always know. been my kind of jokey answer of you really think they could keep that covered up? No. So with that's not that's even enough. good enough to keep to cover 
up their NSA stuff. Exactly. exactly. And that's the stuff they really don't want you to know. And with all the so hackers in the world these days, you know. So, I mean, that's – but anyway, yeah. The, the, but this movie, though, it really, you know, I just think it's so – it feels so real in in a, in a lot of what they do in it. So um, it, it really does. It, it's really um, Stanley Kubrick. I mean, he singular as far as his visions of making movies. And people who work with Stanley Kubrick, I mean, the guy was a, a could be a very difficult guy to work with because yeah. of yeah, anybody that's... that had vision and would refuse to uh, change his vision is difficult to work with because it's, it's always oh, an artist. He, he, he's yeah. an artist that, that, you know, has his vision, his ideas, and it's basically get on board, you know, kind of a little bit or, or, or he'll just, you know, he's going to do what he wants. So. Yeah. He, I mean, he did, um, clockwork orange after this, which is, uh, another sort of, you know, I guess that is a sci-fi, I guess if you want to call it, cause it's a dystopian, uh, future so i guess it's a similar not similar but it's sci-fi but he made a really singular movies oh yeah yeah and and you know going swinging back to arthur c clark you know what um when i was looking at some of this stuff and i knew this from before but i was kind of refreshing a little bit um you know like you mentioned the sentinel which was the short story that that um arthur c clark wrote that yep. became the basis for 2001 but what people might not know is that they sort of actually wrote Clark and Stanley Kubrick worked more or less on the screenplay for the movie and the and the actual what turned into the novel. Novel, yeah. Basically, almost at the same time, I had this quote that I found here, um, where 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 basically Arthur C. Clarke said something like. Uh, that he calls the screenplay should be credited to Kubrick and Clark and the novel to Clark and Kubrick. He, he kind of put it that way, where basically the screenplay was a little bit maybe more Stanley Kubrick, which makes sense. He was the one doing the movie, and the novel turned into a little bit more Arthur C. Clarke. So, you know, this wasn't a book that Clark, even though he wrote this short story, he hadn't worked out some of all of it ahead of time. They kind of did it in, jointly in a way when they did the movie. Yeah, um, of course. Uh, we know there's a Star Trek connection to this movie, right? Yes, we do. And well, let's see. The first uh, guy, the uh, in the movie, uh, Dave Bowman is played by an actor called named uh, Kyer Delay, which is such a weird name. But the uh, his his uh, partner in the movie, Doctor Frank Poole, is played by Gary Lockwood, who of course was Gary Mitchell. Yes. And the interesting thing about that is he it's almost around the same time frame he played Gary Mitchell. Right. So it looks like, you know, Gary Mitchell. It it's within a year or so of that. Actually, I think I'd have to look up it exactly. It, it, it's really close in time to when they did the second pilot. So, uh, I mean, the same pilot came out in 66. They were filming this around 65. I don't know exactly when they did their scenes you know in the in the order of events of filming so uh but yeah it, it's it's basically gary mitchell on on discovery <laughs> <laughs> playing chess with yeah. hal <laughs> and, get, chess and hal, getting who, and getting beat getting his butt handed to him so who is the voiced by uh douglas rain who uh, was about the third person to try doing that voice and they finally got it right they, oh it's so had... you can't even imagine anyone else doing hal right now i mean i mean the voice is just Hello, Dave. Yeah. Hey, well, it's in, in uh, a little bit of trivia. 
um, and how <laughs> when he recorded his lines, he did it laying down with a pillow under his feet so that he was relaxed <laughs> and that he was just very relaxed when he recorded that. That's how he kind of got that like very uh, soothing tone to his voice. It makes here. perfect sense. I mean, yeah. I mean, he, he just, it's, uh, I, I so want my computer to be just like talk to me when I come home, you know, and just say, hello, Rico, how was your day today? <laughs> I yeah. don't because it might open the air lock on me. But um <laughs> yeah, you you'd be like hell open the garage door hell. I'm afraid I can't do that, Chris. <laughs> Come on, it's raining out hell. I'm, so- I'm sorry bed. to hear that. I I hear the tension in your voice. Are you disturbed or bothered? You're damn right I'm disturbed. <laughs> These are new suede shoes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah, but it is. It is. Um, it was definitely a, a joint uh, mission between the two of them to really make this movie what it was. So, I mean, it's uh, two visionaries working together, so you know it's going to be something special. Yeah, yeah. So, um, was there anything left that you wanted to cover with Clark? We sort of spun off there, uh, but uh, no, not I, really. I mean, I think that you know, Clark. There's Clark has. You know, there's some personal stuff in his life. We don't really need to get into that, but yeah. just what you need to know about Clark is that he was one of the people that had an optimistic view of of, um, of the future. Yeah, definitely. You I know? mean, he's uh, you know he you know that's well you know the you mentioned you know even Asimov and Heinlein. I mean, most of their stuff, you know, it it, it definitely uh, for the most part a, a you know a positive um, story. You know. Kind of. I mean, if you look at it that way, I mean, mankind is still going on. I mean, it's you know, even asthma stuff. I mean, it, it's way in the future, some of it. So, uh, but yeah. um, but anyway, um, yeah. So, so uh, let's take just a short little break. I'm gonna play a clip or two to the movie, and we'll come back and get, dig into more of the of the film specifically, and, and maybe a little bit about. Um, I'm not sure if you pulled up too much on. There are some differences between the the book and the movie. Right, and then there are also some things that they cut out of the movie. You can find deleted scenes and things like that. So we'll be right back. All right, we are back, and we um, we just actually tried to reconnect over Skype. I'm not sure how much this is getting was heard in the recording, but. I was losing Chris's connection occasionally for some reason. So hopefully that'll clear up the interference. But uh, so back to the movie, 2001. Right. So how do you want to do this? <laughs> well, I love the apes. Let's talk about the apes. Yeah, well, they, they, we could so we can just say that the we'll start off by saying the movie is sort of um, cut into like four sections. Yeah, and that's a good way to look at like, it. Yeah. Right. So the first section is called The Dawn of Man. Right. Mm-hmm. Yep. And it actually says that then, on the on the screen, the dawn of right. man, which I got to mention, I I was reading. I don't know how much you read on this or heard about this before, but at one time they were thinking of using some kind of a over like a, a narration for the movie. Did you know about that? Did you hear about that, or did you look and see that? Um, I I have so much stuff I compiled. Um, I didn't see that, but well, I, yeah. I, Basically, I read somewhere in, I'm looking at like Wikipedia for the movie, and they were talking about where they, they tossed out the idea of using a, a narrator of, of some kind. They just wanted to just present it and, and let people make up their own minds with 
some of the stuff that was going on and things like that. So, uh, mm. you know, because you that think would... about they've got in it, we're jumping ahead, but in the 2010 film, you know, Roy Scheider, Floyd, you know, he, there's sort of he kind of does that in that movie a bit. Mm. Most of it's usually in these little dialogues like letters to home kind of a thing. Right. But anyway, I just thought it was interesting. So, yeah, we start with the Dawn of Man, the first section where, you know, there's apes, basically. Yeah, they, I guess they're, they're early hominids, really, I guess, so whatever you want to call them. Yeah, whatever. They look like big, oh, um, yeah. But a leopard kills one of them, and another tribe of, of these hominids, they, they drive them away from their water hole. So they sleep overnight in this this rock crater and they and they awake to find that a black monolith which is a big black featureless rectangle mm-hmm. yeah. um what was you say about 10 feet tall something like maybe a little bit bigger it's one by know. four by nine right are right. those the magic dimensions of it that's, right that's right but it's like i don't know they're all different sizes though. right like, scales although this one looks like it was maybe maybe about nine feet high ish yeah. or so maybe a little bit more yeah but uh but anyway, it's it's plunked down, standing straight up there, sitting in the right near them. It starts so, to make yeah. sort of a weird, like humming noise. Ooh. Yeah, the yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and yeah. that's sort of the noise that thing makes. I don't, and it's sort of um, there's a lot of theories. I'll go ahead and we'll get into that a little bit later. Yeah. But um, so they all kind of go up to it, sort of like freaked out by it, but they they do touch it. But um, yeah, I thought that the way they react to it is is really well done. You this, know, I, the I, makeup I, yeah. for that is some of the best makeup I think that's been on screen still to this day. It's amazing. Oh yeah, yeah, and and just the way they move, they're you know the 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 whole that whole time is just it's just really well done when you think about it being you know done back in the mid '60s. So right, it's it's really impressive, impressively done. So. So now these these this tribe that has a uh, contact with this monolith, they start to um, start to get smarter, and one of them uh, realizes how to uh, use uh, the bone as a tool. Yes, yeah, so with the classic dun dun yeah. dun dun. Yeah, it's like dun so dun, dun dun dun. Use their uh, smarts to to uh, go get that tribe out of their uh, water hole, and they kill its leader. And then you know the monk the the, the throw they throw the bone up in the air and then it does that little shift where it turns into uh, which is great yeah it's just a great transition you know of yeah he throws the bone and it becomes now we're into the future where it's yeah. it's it's um the, the, it shows the station at that point right the yeah yeah so um but I you know I I think it's pretty clear from that you know scene I I always it never really. You know, there are some things in this movie that sort of seem like, hmm, what does that mean? But that that was I always as being a geeky sci fi guy, I always like looked at it like, hey, there's some aliens plopped down something here, did something to these apes, triggered something in them, whether it was right. latent or whatever, and it allowed them to sort of make that leap. You know, there, there's um back in college I took this uh, a couple of classes that got into what's there's a theory called this is going into a way off on a tangent, but there's this theory out there called punctuated evolution. And um, basically, you know, some people think of evolution as being some kind of weird little gradual thing. Right. Like, like, oh, you know, there's, there's a little crawling and then you get this other little thing happening. And, <laughs> but there's uh, this, to simplify it at least is that there's been a theory for a long time that several 
people have proposed that it's not like that. That basically you have to take sort of a leap. That that something happens where there's a when a big shift has to happen. It's like that you know whether it's nature that just does that, and then this this alternate version, or I'm I'm not even saying this at all, right? But but that there's a jump and something happens where yep. a, a a big change happens. It's like it's like not just lots of little gradual changes. It's like people kind of or whatever the species is kind of goes along dun da dun da da, and then then a kind of a little blip happens or a right. big change. And the big change here is that they learn how to use basically weapons, tools, whatever. Use how to use know how learn how to rather than just sort of react and live with the way things are so uh in this they yeah. you you know i like it i think it's a really cool and elegant way to, to throw in a reason for that happening where oh hmm this alien thing did something to them right yeah it's pretty it's i mean you know it, it, i think it's pretty straightforward but you know yeah yeah so okay <laughs> but now we're into you know the future we're into basically 2000 or whatever yeah. it is you know a little bit yeah, less i guess it's probably 90. I would say it's like 99, I guess, because they have to discover. Well, anyway, uh, so he's so uh, there's a Pan space plane, which is funny since yeah, Pan Am, Pan Am was, gone now. So right, and it's carrying a. Now if George I, Lucas did this movie. You know, he would have gone in there and erased Pan Am and wrote know, like Delta on it or something. But or yeah. Jet Blue. Yeah. <laughs> Do, so uh, a, Disney. You should have put Disney on it. There we go. Disney. <laughs> Yeah, it's carrying a guy, uh, Doctor Hayward. Hi, Doctor Floyd. Floyd. I'm Mickey. <laughs> <laughs> Can you tell me what's going on on the moon? <laughs> I'm not really drinking beer, really. I'm not. So, I sw- all right, I believe you. All right, go ahead. Sorry. So he's going to um, a space station orbiting Earth for a layover on his trip to Clavius Base. It's a U.S. outpost on the moon. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, and he makes a video phone call from the station to his daughter or a Skype call, whatever. You yeah. Want to call <laughs> he pulls out his iPhone. Yeah. Right. I mean, yeah, he's basically talking to his daughter back home. Yeah. The and daughter was with video. Stanley Kubrick's daughter, by the way. Um, and he encounters his friend Elena, who is a Russian scientist, and her colleague, Dr. Smyslov, who asks Floyd about the weird things going on over there at Clavius Base. And Floyd's like, you know, not at liberty to discuss it. As far yeah, as- you do not have the proper clearance. And I think I actually grabbed a clip, so I might slip that right. in here. But We're going home. We've uh, just spent three months calibrating the new antenna, Chilenka. What about you? I'm just on my way up to Clavius. Oh, are you? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, uh, Dr. Floyd, I hope you don't think I'm being too inquisitive, but perhaps you can clear up the great big mystery about what has been going on up there. I'm afraid I don't know what you mean. Well, it's just that for the past uh, two weeks, some extremely odd things have been happening at Clavis. Oh, really? Yes, oh, yes, yes. Well, for one thing, whenever you phone the base, all you can get is a recording which repeats that the phone lines are temporarily out of order. Well, uh, probably having some trouble with their equipment or something like that. Yes. Yes, that's what we thought was the explanation at first, but it's been going on now for the past ten days. You mean you haven't been able to contact anyone for the past ten days? That's right. Oh, I see. There's another thing, Haywood. Two days ago, one of our rocket buses was denied permission for emergency landing at Clavius. 
Well, that does sound odd. Yes, yes. yes I'm afraid there's going to be a bit of a row about it. Denying the men permission to land is a direct violation of the IAS convention. Yes, of course, of course. Will the crew get back all right? Yes, yes, fortunately they did. Yes. Oh, I'm glad about that. But continue. But uh, at the base, uh, he meets the base personnel. Uh, apparently they use the epidemic as a cover story so to, to find to tell everybody what was going on yes everyone was... has moon measles <laughs> yeah yeah you have this sterile environment everybody's in these suits but man can you yeah. think of that it, it, talk about like if you have if you really did have some bug up there everyone would just like die i have visions <laughs> of like you know because everyone would get it you know they would turn into little crystals in their uniform that's right <laughs> <laughs> um so they found an artifact on the moon, and they call it Tycho Magnetic Anomaly 1, TMA-1, and it was buried four million years ago. And they ride a, a moon bus artifact, and it's a, it's a monolith just like the one in the beginning of the movie. So wait a and, second. Yeah, right. They, so they head out to see the, the monolith there on the, on, the, yeah. on the moon, on the crater. But so... Are, is the monolith on the moon then? Was that there before the one that got plunked down for the apes? How many? It would, ha- it would have to be because that's I mean, older than than yeah. the time of those apes, right? Yeah, right. yeah, by yeah. far. Yeah, yeah. So that exact... so that was there way before that. So, yeah. Okay. Um, by the way, that 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 scene where like you know the pod lands in that little gantry and it gets lowered down that is so cool mm-hmm. yeah like, i love so it. Awesome. i love the little moon bus thing i actually yeah. built a model of that way huge many years ago that they had out a little that moon bus model i can remember yeah. all the little feet on it and everything and yeah it was a pain actually it did not go together if i remember very well for some reason just a weird squat kind of shape to it so you know they um they Damn it! And they they take a picture in front of it. And yeah, let's all it. get our picture taken with the big black block. <laughs> and then, and when they do, then a very like loud pitched signal emanates from it. And uh, I don't know. They don't. They don't. Um, I don't know if they reveal it then, but it does get. It's a signal going towards uh, Jupiter. Yeah, so. I don't think they actually say it. I I, I or, or I'm not sure when it comes up. Maybe once we get into talking with the you know the guys on the on the mission or something like right. that. Maybe there's a little news clip or something they play in the background. But right. But, but yeah, the, the 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 thing is that that noise it makes it sends a signal towards Jupiter, which goes hmm. It's kind of like okay, well maybe we should go over there and check it out. <laughs> so that's the end of that section. Yes. Um, and the next section is called Jupiter Mission. And it's the American spaceship Discovery One is bound for Jupiter, and on board are mission pilots and scientists, uh, Doctor Bowman, Doctor Dave Bowman, and Doctor Frank Poole. Hello, Dave. And, Hello, Dave. Yes. And then there's three other scientists. You, who you are want me, don't frozen. you, Dave? <laughs> <laughs> I have been out well, here for a long time. Hal. I gotta tell you, maybe in a couple to... more cycles. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, I wanted to go back and say one thing about the. Um, the sets and things on, oh, on yeah. the um, the way they did some of this work. They actually built this rotating set uh, that uh, to to show that you know the Discovery has this r- rotation that allows it to maintain gravity, basically yeah. on, on part of it, or yep. is it all of it? I don't know if it's all of it. I guess not. But it's not really because like they sort of have those weird ladders that go up. That's right. Different That's angles, right. Yeah. You know? 
so uh, yeah, they they you know it cost like and and for the time we should have I should have said at one point I think I read something like that that piece of the of what they built there that was like a seven hundred and fifty thousand dollar that little rotating Where you he's know running, yeah. yeah you see Gary Gary Mitchell I'm just gonna call him Gary Mitchell from now on Lockwood's uh, character uh, pool you see him kind of jogging along yeah and that rotating set it's like two hundred fifty thousand sorry seven hundred fifty thousand. This movie, a, just just so you know, it only costs like ten million to make. <laughs> ten million, folks. Yeah, ten million for this movie. Hey, um, that's a really nice shot too. It just sort of follows him, and it's like it's very impressive. Yeah. Oh, I I was when I first saw this movie, I can still remember some of that stuff like that. Some of the things on the moon, the ape work, like you mentioned already. Everything is just so, and and it still pretty much holds up. We were talking, yeah, I does. think, before we started, some of the effects and things. Uh, you can see some matte lines and stuff like that. I don't know if it's been cleaned up. I haven't watched it on Blu-ray or, or whatever, but um, but they're you know the the set work and the I, I love practical things like that. And I always think it makes it look more real. So and it's it's very beautiful, just like the opening shot with the moon and the earth and the sun. You know, oh yeah, like, everything is done sort of to make this movie visually uh, uh, beautiful. Yeah. Um, so they're on this ship, and they got three other uh, people who are scientists, but they're in um, cryogenics. They're sleeping. Bad luck for uh, them, I'll say. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, most of the Discovery's operations are controlled by the computer HAL 9000, or simply HAL, as the crew call him. Yes. Um, Forever throughout you know history and time, HAL 9000. Another thing most people will recognize and know that they may not know you know a lot of other things, but HAL. Yep. Um, it was parodied in the airplane too, if you remember. Oh my gosh, it's it pops up all over the place, you know. <laughs> yeah. Anytime, just somebody kind of lowers their voice and says, "I'm afraid I can't do that," you know. So, so they're they they're watching themselves being interviewed on a BBC show about the mission. The computer states that he is foolproof and incapable of error. Yeah. And he's he speaks of his enthusiasm for the mission. And that how always worries me. Incapable yeah. of error. Yeah. Hmm. He likes work with humans and when asked if Hal has genuine emotions Bowman replies that he appears to but that the truth is unknown you know that you don't really know because you know is it real or simulated or whatever and just the this concept of you know you know these days people will say you know how much they're slaves to their computers you know this idea of this supercomputer really helping them on their mission helping them uh, uh, to control the ship helping everything um, is is to us now, I think it doesn't seem like such a big concept, but that's that's pretty big, you know. Yeah. C- computers in in that era, you know, did not. <laughs> they are not like today's computers. So. I always feel that like, uh, um, like Bruce Maddox, uh, Next Generation, watched two two uh, thousand and one. A few too like, many. Yeah, yeah, time, a few yeah. too many times. You know, like, yeah, that's a good point. Yeah, good old like wants to wants to take data apart, see what makes him tick. So. <laughs> So, um, Hal asks Bowman about the unusual mystery and secrecy surrounding the mission, but interrupts himself to report an imminent failure of a device which uh, controls the AE-35 antenna, which is their main way to communicate with Earth. Yeah. Um, So, he retrieves the component with one of the little pods, which are really little cool little things with claws little circle pods oh yeah they just look great they look very practical too you know yeah. they're, they're just they got a big window they got little arms to go out there and maneuver around and do things yep but they can't find anything wrong with it 
even though Hal says something that's broken. I can't um, understand why, Dave. Is there, yeah. you know, there's something wrong. Yeah, I love the part where, and I, I think I captured this clip where where Hal and is asking to see Dave's um, art. He draws right. these little art. Uh, he's got a little sketch pad, and you know, to, I guess basically partly to you know, the boredom of the long flight and everything. He, he's sketching uh, things around the ship and sketching mostly like these people in their little cryo tubes. And, and, <laughs> and he shows it to uh, Hal and, and Hal's like, I, you know, I, I see you're, you're, you know, you're, you're really improving, Dave. And it's, it's... Good evening, Dave. How you doing, Hal? Everything's running smoothly. And you? Oh, not too bad. Have you been doing some more work? A few sketches. May I see them? Sure. That's a very nice rendering, Dave. I think you've improved a great deal. Can you hold it a bit closer? Sure. That's Dr. Hunter, isn't it? Mm-hmm. By the way, do you mind if I ask you a personal question? No, not at all. Well, forgive me for being so inquisitive. But during the past few weeks, I've wondered whether you might be having some second thoughts about the mission. How do you mean? Well, it's rather difficult to define. Perhaps I'm just projecting my own concern about it. I know I've never completely freed myself of the suspicion that there are some extremely odd things about this mission. I'm sure you'll agree there's some truth in what I say. Well, I don't know. That's a rather difficult question to answer. You don't mind talking about it, do you, Dave? No, not at all. Well, certainly no one could have been unaware of the very strange stories floating around before we left. Rumors about something being dug up on the moon. I never gave these stories much credence. But particularly in view of some of the other things that have happened, I find them difficult to put out of my mind. He's got a personality. I mean, there, there's no denying that Hal's is is got a personality in this. This is not yep. just you know yes no answers. You know, the, he he's he's as much a character in this movie. He's probably frankly almost more of a character than e- even Bowman or Poole, really, in a way. Yeah. So Hal says, "Well, you should just." install it and let it fail so you can find the problem but mission concur- mission con- uh, mission control concurs it advises but it, he adv- they advise the astronauts that results from their own 9000 indicate that the ship's hal is an error predicting the fault when, error uh, error error yeah. and when they ask hal about it he says it's a uh, human error <laughs> yeah so they're concerned with his behavior, and they go into one of the EVA pods to talk about him, about Hal listening in. Hey, but, where are you guys going? Are you talking about me? <laughs> yeah. Like, yeah, they both, so they have suspicions, but guess what? And they're talking about, you know, him, and Hal is reading their lips through the window. <laughs> yes. Which I don't know. Uh, I, I thought that was, I, I, I liked it. I, I, I. I've always kind of wondered, though, do you think that they should have realized that, perhaps, maybe in a way? I don't know. It's just something yeah, I've maybe. always thought of. It's like, this guy, this computer can pretty much do everything. You're, you've are you got the pod sitting right in front of one of his little red eyes. Right. You know, but anyway, 
it's, you'd think they would not underestimate him, but so, yeah, or or something like that, or, or maybe he had some way to not even just the reading the lips through the little window, but like even I I wouldn't believe that I could necessarily lock out any kind of controls or audio pickups inside that pod. You know that really? that's what I would have been more suspicious almost of of like. Well, we think we've got him shut off, but do we, you know? So, anyway. So, Frank goes out to replace the unit during a space walk, but his pod, uh, controlled by Hal, severs his oxygen, ho- his oxygen hose and sets him adrift. He goes, goes floating. Yeah, bye-bye, Gary Mitchell. And yep. uh, Bowman uh, doesn't know that Hal's responsible for it. He takes another pod to attempt to rescue. He leaves his helmet behind. Yeah, I'm trying to remember, was he considered, was he definitely dead at that point? Was he just going out there to get the body, or was there possible that he had, he was still alive? I don't remember, because I, I didn't I mean, watch like, this again recently. I, it's been yeah. a little, I watched 2010 last night, but I haven't watched 2001 for a, a little bit. I can't never was, remember if he thought there's he no, was di- there's no alive. Dialogue. There's no dialogue, so you just kind of. But there was no readouts it. coming from his suit that. that I, don't uh, know, I don't think so. I don't think they kind of, I think he just goes out there in the pod, but he doesn't bring his helmet with him, so he. His, but, Which uh, was a mistake. Yeah, <laughs> he comes back to the ship, but he asks how to um, open the uh, pod bay doors, and that's where you get the famous line. Yeah, Sorry. open the pod bay doors, Hal. Yeah, open the pod bay doors, Hal. I'm sorry, Dave. I'm afraid I can't do that. What's the problem? I think you know what the problem is just as well as I do. What are you talking about, Hal? This mission is too important for me to allow you to jeopardize it. I don't know what you're talking about, Hal. I know that you and Frank were planning to disconnect me. And I'm afraid that's something I cannot allow to happen. Where the hell did you get that idea, Hal? Dave, although you took very thorough precautions in the pod against my hearing you, I could see your lips move. All right, Hal. I'll go in through the emergency airlock. Without your space helmet, Dave, you're going to find that rather difficult. Hal, I won't argue with you anymore. Open the doors. Dave, this conversation can serve no purpose anymore. Goodbye. I'm sorry, so Dave. He, so uh, Dave Bowman, he uses the uh, pod's little uh, hand to open the uh, manual release on the... Uh, on the on the uh, airlock, and he jumps in through the vacuum, uh, but he's yeah. able to get helmet on. Um, yeah, he basically kind of blows himself in there, and then yeah. and then seals it and turns it on fast enough, you know, or whatever. So it's crazy, it's crazy seeing like goes yeah in real. Quick. And it looks just again real, like like a lot of the 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 times in these in the movie during the during this and the earlier Moon stuff, you know, where they they show some weightlessness. You know, they do yeah. they do a really good job with that. Just the way the cameras are 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 under them at, at times, and you know the way they it, it doesn't look like the usual like just hanging people from wires. They kind of did a unique way of it 
in, you know, kind of an upside down approach a lot. So I think that helped. So Dave decides that uh, it's time to disconnect Hal because there's there's no air. Like, there's no like, dude, Hal. You left me out there, man. You hung me out, and and he so he, yeah, he goes into that cool like little computer yeah. Hal computer core thing, all red or whatever with the with little those little like clear, clear plastic. Yeah. Yep. To me, that always reminds me of you know when Star Trek, especially Next Generation. You know they had all those little clear computer modules that Data would always be pulling in and out of stuff or whatever. Jordy, and they always been kind of remind me later about that. Isolinear chip. Yes, yes, yeah. So uh, so he's in there he's basically like cutting, turning them off, turning them off. Little brain, you know, little bits of Hal's brain one by one, and that's where you get the you know, hey, you know, could I sing you a song, Dave? Right. Want me to sing a song. If you'd like to hear it, I can sing it for you. Yes, I'd like to hear it now. Sing it for me. It's called Daisy. 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 Give me your answer to. And he kind of goes, re- regresses to where he was first turned on. Yes. You yeah. know, and then, and then he gets disconnected. He's off. And then uh, uh, the pre-recorded video from Floyd plays when the computer is disconnected, revealing the existence of the monolith on the moon. Right, which, which is a big point where they never, they didn't really know. They were just sort of like, right. hey, go out to Jupiter and hang around. <laughs> it's like... Uh, uh, Floyd adds that it remains inert except for a single radio emission aimed at Jupiter. Oh, we and should mention in- that it, it back to Dave or uh, sorry, Hal killed the the freezing people. The the, the uh, little, yeah, oh, yeah. The, little the rest of the crew, the popsicles. He turned off all their life support when yep. when all the the ruckus was going on with Pool and and Dave Bowman out there. So, so that's the end of that section. And the next section is called Jupiter and Beyond the Infinite. And at Jupiter, uh, Bowman leaves the Discovery in an EVA pod to investigate another monolith discovered in orbit. Um, Which is a big is, mama monolith. Yeah. That's what I call it, the big mama monolith, yeah. So he approaches it. Huge. The pod, it's huge. It's massive. I think it's the, uh, it's, it, well, they mention it's, it's, it's the same one in 2010. So it's, it's, I think yep. it's like a couple of kilometers long, basically. Yeah. yeah. Um pulled into a tunnel of a uh, colored light um he was racing across a great this is when alcohol and drugs help a lot when yeah. you watch this movie yeah yeah i would guess in the in the late 60s it, it, my uncle <laughs> uh, tell me that when he would go see this movie he might have had some herbal refreshments but um and it's a long time it's about what 15 yeah. minutes or so of, of just is. going it's through crazy. all these colored little scenes and then it eventually shows these weird colored uh overlays on earth or whatever it's supposed yeah, to like, be yeah like like 
like Grand Canyon. Yeah, scenes like around the planet, but they're tinted in weird shades, and yeah, it it's, seems. It's, I, I would say it probably seems longer than it is because it's so strange. Yeah, but he ends up in like this really like fancy hotel room. You it's know? all kind of white, and and it always yeah. reminded me a lot of of somewhat of the look of Discovery too. You know, sure. It, it, yeah, you know, because it doesn't. He first doesn't the first scene when he gets in there, isn't he sort of in the the, the pod room again? Isn't that where it starts? Well, and then he walks through kind of a door into sort of the hotel. I'm trying to remember. Yeah, and I think the pod is in the room. I don't remember. Oh, that's right. That's right. You're right. I'm sorry. Yeah, you're right. The pod is just sitting there in in, in the weird. Yeah, this is when it gets kind of. Okay, what's going on here? Yeah. Hmm. He sees progressively older versions of himself and his Yes, which is done changing. really well yeah. and it's just very cool, you know, just to think about yeah, he sees himself, he's maybe about twenty years older, then he sees himself as an a very old man, and then he's, and he's you know, he's on his deathbed. And he and then he's dying and there's a monolith at the bottom of his bed and he reaches for it and then he's transformed into this fetus like being it's in like this big orb you know and then the space baby yeah yeah star child i guess is what they refer to it as and he's sort of floating over uh, earth at that point right right so yeah yeah or at least looking at earth you know yeah so the literally uh, uh, you know so the um implication being that he's evolved into a higher form of life i would assume yes that he has now transcended physical being or whatever, whatever, however you want to interpret it, but that's how the movie ends, and uh, it is not <laughs> something that is going. That's not a movie that is going to spell it all out for you, and uh, that's that's just fine in my opinion. Mm-hmm. It's, it, I mean, nowadays it seems like when people get so upset, like 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 say Lost, Lost didn't explain everything. Well, well, do you have a do you have an imagination? Why don't you sort of come up? some of your own ideas that's okay it's okay well, you my problem to... with lost when not to spin off onto that <laughs> is that it was like what seven years right that's, is that yeah, how long that's... the show that's my, my problem is when i've invested that much time and effort i wanted a little bit more i didn't need everything explained but i wanted a yeah. little bit more than what we got I and, you. and you know what i the other part about that that i felt with was just that i felt that it was a little lazy I felt that it it basically then made it like, well, they could have just tossed anything in there. It didn't need to mean anything. And then I feel a little cheated. Like, it's not that I I, don't want everything explained, but I felt like they knew way, way, way during that series that, well, we can do all kinds of goofy stuff because none of this means anything, really. So that's kind of my thing, but not to spin off onto that too much. But but in a two-hour-and-a-half movie with 2001... And I frankly have always thought I never really when I even when I first saw this, I don't find it all that hard to follow or understand. I don't think no. it's it's all that complicated really at all. There's there's some people that think it's actually pretty simple overall. It, it you know, like I did in my little fifteen second you know synopsis. You know, aliens plunk this thing down, makes us smarter. They go out and investigate some more. The guy sort of gets changed into this pure you know star child energy being. You know, Hal goes a little nutso, whatever, and and that's that. They're they're you know, but there's there's maybe not complex, but there are some high concepts in it. Sure, so maybe sure, some yeah, people and it's done very well, yeah. But it but certainly isn't. Not everybody's your... comfortable with like high concepts. Sure, 
Yeah, and they're like, that whole thing, like, why is he seeing himself older? What does that mean? What does right. that mean? You know, it's like, uh, and and yeah, no, no, definitely to some people. I, I, I just have always been a big, big fan of this movie. I like I like the feel of it. I like the look. It, 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 it just seems, for something that sort of has some high concepts and unrealness to it, it seems, a lot of it seems very real, too, in a yeah. way. The way they do the mission, the way they do the the spacewalks, you know, the the computer, the everything, all that. One thing that I have always wondered a little bit about, though, is, okay, so they go to the moon, and then the signal is sent to Jupiter. Right. And and I know we skip big chunks of time in this movie, and a lot of the things that aren't explained to me is, like, was Discovery just sort of laying around? Did they just sort of go, oh, hmm, I guess we got to build a big old ship to get us to Jupiter now? You know what I mean? It was. Yeah. It just seemed fairly simple and easy. Yeah, because that's a pretty... <laughs> well, they say uh, pretty... 18 months later is what I'm reading here. I'm reading on Wikipedia a little bit about, right. you know, it's like, okay, they find the little, you know, thing on the moon. And it's like, okay, within 18... I'm like, are you kidding me? That's a very... <laughs> yeah, it's a pretty complex uh, ship to build. Oh, my gosh, yeah. I mean, I mean, it's just like, uh, I mean, yeah, it, it's... it's it, it, yeah, so anyway, it's things like that. But, yeah. you know, you could also throw into that whole, maybe the, maybe the thing... W- w- did a little, you know, jump start on on whatever scientists were needed there. Maybe some of the people that were there on the moon that saw the monolith and was like, "Okay, this is how you build a spaceship to come see us." You know, <laughs> maybe, maybe. But um, there's a little bit of uh, trivia on this movie. Yeah, go ahead. Just do a little bit of trivia. I did the, the dialogue thing where there's like no dialogue for 88 minutes. Nuts. Yeah. Um, the whole movie only has 205 shots. Um compared to 350 in Star Wars uh, uh, A New Hope and 2,200 in Star Wars Episode Three. So. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but that's because they have special effect shots for dialogue where they're walking in a room. Sure. Um, yeah. Now, one of the rumors about this movie uh, was that uh, Pink Floyd was uh, approached to do the music for the film. I would be perfectly happy with that, but they turned it down. But they do retain a little bit of a connection with the movie. It's said, like with the Wizard of Oz, that you could play uh, the song "Echoes" from uh, the album "Metal," and it can be synced with that last action Jupiter Beyond the Infinite. Now I listen, I listen to "Echoes," and I say, "Yeah, that would be." I gotta try that because "Echoes" is like super. It's very long. It's like twenty something minutes long. Mm-hmm. It's. Uh, very trippy, you know what I mean? Yeah. I can see how it, yeah. it would be kind of cool to try that out if anybody wants to. Um, and the, the movie was going to to um, end just like the book uh, with, with Bowman discovering the third monolith on Saturn's moon, uh, Gepetus. Uh, the idea was scrapped when the special effects artist couldn't make a convincing looking uh, Saturn ring effect. So that's why they changed the uh, location to Jupiter. Ah, okay. Um, and Doug Trumbull, who did the effects for this, who is pretty famous. Yeah, Silent Doug Running, Trump, he, yep. Mm-hmm. Blade Runner he did. Blade, yep. Close Encounters of the Third Kind. I mean, his. so he did the yeah, Silent Running, he actually directed it, and he uh, did his Saturn ring. It was too great effect in Silent Running, so. Yes, uh, yeah. And, and um, Stanley Kubrick was forced by MGM to use Alex North to compose score, but he always wanted to use classical music, so he allowed uh, North to score the first half of the film before informing him that they they only planned to use 
uh, sound effects only for the uh, second half, but it wasn't until he saw the movie that he found out that none of his his music was used at all. And yeah, the um, music in this is really, uh, I think, another thing that makes me like it a lot, and yeah. and it just seems to work so well. It's also very, you know, with this classical music that they use, and I'll play some of those pieces. Um, this really set a lot of the stage for what we got with Star Wars. I mean, there, there's no denying that, and, and George Lucas has, said, has stated that, you know, the idea of having a classical-type soundtrack and music going in a space kind of movie was, was right. just very, very different. So it, um, and it works so well here. You know, it just, the gracefulness kind of the of the ships and the, and the music playing, I, I just I just love it. Yeah, um, and if you're interested, uh, Jerry Goldsmith, who has since passed away, uh, re-recorded it um, in 1993, and it had, the first time it had been heard in its, in its full amount. But uh, North, he used a lot of the music in um, movies that he scored later, mm-hmm. uh, uh, particularly Dragon Slayer. So some of the music in Dragon Slayer was actually from 2001, the score that was never released. Mm-hmm. I always find it interesting. It happens a few times scores sometimes the score gets completely finished and uh they just don't use it and it's just it's just i'm always find that particularly interesting uh, um it happened with um king kong the one with Peter jackson where howard shore composed the whole score oh yeah I, yeah he decided not to use any of it uh, um, the one i always remember yeah. is legend the tom cruise movie right. that i've covered you know where uh yeah they had a whole score and and they dropped it and and put more of a rock type score in it, um, that, yeah. but yeah, it, it is interesting when that happens. Uh, let's talk a little bit about you know there are a couple different cuts of this movie. Mm. They there was a, a longer theatrical version of it uh, that we ran about um, that actually was in select premieres and theaters when it first came out. 161 minutes. Uh, the cut that you, most people know of, I think, is around 100. And, 142-ish minutes long, uh, but there's some deleted scenes, the um, and and there's you know some things that are a little longer, a little shorter, but uh, it's kind of like a couple of uh, uh, categories. There's um, there's something on the, the moon base a little bit more there that they show with actually there's a painting class with Kubrick's daughters, uh, Floyd's buying a, a little uh, toy I think for his daughter. Uh, and um, there was also a longer, a big chunk of a cut, about a 10-minute, uh, uh, like a black-and-white opening sequence featuring interviews with scientists and, and discussing extraterrestrial life and things like that. Uh, yeah. But anyway, uh, just, you know, he wanted to tighten it up, and, and it, you know, it's a, it feels like a fairly long movie anyway because it does kind of, in a way, move slow. This yeah. isn't This isn't an action Transformers <laughs> movie here. And uh, so, you know, you're already two two hours, 20 minutes. You know, you don't want to throw another 20 minutes, 15, 20 minutes on it. So, uh, yeah, you don't want to watch this movie if you're sleepy. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and I've, I've always liked to watch this movie, though, when I'm in a way when I maybe even when I am a little like uh, sleepier under the weather, because it kind of just sort of soothing. And uh, I don't know. I agree, with, I agree with that. It's very hypnotic. I, I, I can see that. Yeah, it's not it's not a movie that that you know you can kind of it's more of almost an experience in a way than a traditional kind of movie maybe that's a way one way i could think of putting it you know where there are these four different chunks 
and, it, and it, obviously if you know the movie real well, it's like you can kind of drift off as you're watching it anyway, and it's like, oh, oh yeah. Okay. I would say every time I've watched this movie, I have <laughs> I have probably napped a little because it is very hypnotic. And but I mean, I and that doesn't make it bad. I don't think. No, I mean, no, no. the the I was gonna we probably should wrap this up a little bit and maybe get into some yep. of the 2010 and then and yep. a little bit more of the, some of the other books just briefly. But uh, I was gonna say, you know, the the reaction when this first came out. Um, there was a mix of reactions to like movie critics and stuff. Some some were very ecstatic. I mean, it was. It was the kind of movie that that um, really divided even the movie critics. Some of them basically loved it, thought it was amazing, and, and, and just right. an epic kind of unforgettable kind of hypnotic and, and piece of entertainment and film. And, and I think it's now you know listed in several like you know all time amazing greatest movie lists of out, that are out there. But uh, but the uh, but then there were people that just found it very kind of slow dull unimaginative um it they just they just didn't get it it bugged them that they didn't get it uh things like <laughs> that uh but I, I you know i think now i mean what it what are we at like 45 years later since it came out yeah i think we're at the 45th 40. anniversary so yeah, 68 yeah. so i mean I, I you know there's un, no denying this is this is a classic if you if you happen to be even listening to this podcast and you've never seen this movie you need to see this movie it's it's just just amazing a classic i mean even if you don't like it you owe it yourself sit down two and a half hours later and you'll go hmm you know or whatever but uh i also always get a little scared that you know a movie that has this much sort of weight to it and it has been talked about for so long if somebody's actually never seen it and they watch it they may be a little like underwhelmed it could easily happen so uh yeah i guess that happens for some people maybe it's just not their, maybe they watch it in a bad mood or something and yeah you know yeah. it's like oh that that movie's not so great what are all you guys talking about what's it's the like, big oh. deal yeah what's the big deal monkeys yeah, I, 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 I sometimes i have anger watch things because people have told me you love this you would love this i'm like fine i'm gonna watch this but i'm not gonna and enjoy it <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna watch it but i'm not gonna enjoy it yeah but uh but no it's 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 just it's every you know i, I just consider it just a, a complete classic you know we've talked i think on the forum a few times about you know they don't make a lot of hard science kind of movies anymore hard i should say hard well hard science hard science fiction films no. and, and this this is definitely one of those the last one i even remember was like moon then there was. Um, well, would you put Prometheus in 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 that category? Well, I mean, because it has that horror aspect, I think it's hard to do. But I guess because the concepts are big. Yeah, I kind of put it in that category. I, guess, I mean, there's some I horror guess. to it, but but it, but the the it's it, the way I I, I always kind of look at a hard science fiction movie is is that that they try to keep it pretty real. I I, I don't know if that makes sense or if that if you know what I mean, but. Right. It's not like, you know, you know, Star Wars is the other end of that. I mean, you know, I love Star Wars, but I, I mean, you know, it's 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 a fantasy. It's a space fantasy. So yeah. uh, but anyway, I, um, okay. I get but, what you're saying. but they certainly don't do a lot of these. I don't think they ever really did a lot of them. You know, people no. will say that they don't do very many and I don't think they ever really did. So uh, but um but I can remember some stuff, you know, that the, you know, we used to get. I mean, 2010 is one of those we'll talk about here in a moment. Actually, let's let's take a break. I'll play the uh, trailer to uh, to 2010, and we'll come back and talk about the, uh, I guess, the sequel to uh, 2001. Yep. 
How are you going to convince your people to allow Americans to go on the flight? We are going to get there first, and you have the knowledge to make the trip work. I'm going on the flight. How far away is Jupiter? Far. Mommy said you're going to be asleep for a long time. Are you going to die? Dr. Floyd. Dr. Floyd. Dr. Arlov has encountered some strange data coming from Europa. I will send Max down with a pod. I wouldn't do that. Oh, really? You want to send a pod down there, send an unmanned one. Hey, a piece of pie. Cake. Piece of cake. Cake, yes. If this date is correct, then there's something down there. It is correct. It was organic. There was life. Is it moving? Yes. It's incredible. Listen for a minute. We've got to get out of here. I can't just order us to leave here for no reason. Forget reason. There's no time to be reasonable. Can't find him! Are you sure you are making the right decision? I think we should stop. Something's going to happen. What? Something wonderful. back and yep. that was the trailer to 2010 um 2010 the year we make contact which i just watched again last night and i one thing i'll say that i thought was a little odd that i noticed right off the bat is when the movie starts the credits or what you see they don't put that little subtitle on there for some reason no they don't at the beginning at least maybe it shows up at the end somewhere or whatever i don't know um but uh maybe it says somewhere even i've got the wikipedia page up for this but maybe i'm wondering if they thought they needed to have that little tagline on there for it you know it, yeah. if, if they couldn't if they thought they couldn't just use 20 2010 uh and and that's not even the book that clark did is called 2010 odyssey 2 odyssey 2 yeah yeah so anyway okay so we're um Give you a, I'll, I'll just go run down a quick bit of background on the movie. Uh, this movie came out in 1984, which still amazes me that it was that long ago. Uh, wow. Yeah. It was 115 minutes long, so about two hours almost. Uh, it only cost at that time $28 million. Mm. And uh, we didn't give the final box office for uh, 2001, but according to Wikipedia, box office, the total there, which is, I don't know, how they put all that together of how many times it's been released, but 190 million. So did okay. That's pretty good. 2010, (laughs) though only, only made about 40 million and cost Mm. 28 million. So not, not a very successful film came out in December, early December of 1984 directed by Peter Hyams, uh, produced by Peter, written by Peter. (laughs) (laughs) 
So he kind of had a lot to do with this movie. He did. And this yeah. one starred Roy Scheider, John Lithgow, Helen Mirren, all these names, big, big people that you've heard of before. Uh, Bob Balaban, Kara right. DeLu, however you say that guy's name. He's back. Dave's back. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, sorry. Uh, Mr. French-Canadian. I think he's French-Canadian, I think is where, yeah. where he's from. Uh, Douglas Rain is back as Hal again. Dana Eckler, who is this Russian guy that comes... We know you go to see Discovery. Yeah, we come with you. Okay, you come with this us. Is, this is very bad for my very, asthma. Very bad for my asthma, yeah. <laughs> oh, music by David Shire. They 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 don't really use classical music in this movie again. Just the also... Yes, also... Yeah. It's the opening and the closing for the... Yeah, so you get a little blend of uh, what you saw in 2001 there. Yeah. So that, uh, the the uh, MGM movie, uh, per, or distributed by MGM, and uh, I'd forgotten that, you know, I watched this again last night. I forgot Helen Mirren was in it. <laughs> She's, the you know, one of the Russians on, on the ship that, that She's takes... She's the captain. Yeah. She's the captain. So, <laughs> yes, Captain Tanya Kilerbik and... Yep. Uh, so this movie, um, basically, you know, it's more or less a follow-up to 2001 in terms of it is supposed to be, you know, whatever, eight years later-ish or something like that. They um, uh, discovery they've lost contact with. They presume everyone was killed. Uh, and it starts out, out with, in, the mo- in this movie, which is not part of 2001, there's this last transmission from Dave Bowman, and it's just this line, or it's two sentences, I guess. My God, it's full of stars. Right. And uh, that's the last transmission. But again, they assume everyone's been killed on Discovery. Discovery is still floating around out there by Jupiter. And so they are going to um, Dr. Floyd, Dr. Haywood Floyd, who was in 2001, but is here being played by a different actor because that guy and... I forget who the actor was in 2001, but this is basically 20 years later, you know, in in real time. So they, uh, William Sylvester, I think is who it is, who was yeah. Haywood Floyd in, in the 2001. But he, uh, here, uh, Roy Scheider plays him, and he kind of looks like him a little bit, the guy from the 2001 movie. I mean, you know, it, give or take. I mean, it's, um, but he has a big part of this, uh, this, this movie and this mission because they're going to go, go out there and see um what is um what's going on with discovery and the the, basically the way they want to do this the the soviets uh, well the era what's going on here and this movie came out in the 80s keep that in mind while you're hearing this if you don't Mm -hmm. if you're not familiar with this there will be spoilers again for this too if you've not seen it the uh the tension tensions between the United States and and Russia at this time, you know, both in reality and uh, and also in in the movie are 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 not good. Basically, there there's a pretty much we're heading to war with the Russians in this in this era in this movie. So, a Russian guy comes. That's what we were talking about earlier. This is very bad for my asthma. <laughs> he, he's. Um, he comes out to, uh, I think they're in Hawaii, right, at that point? Yeah, he's and, the uh, chancellor of the University of Hawaii in this movie. Right, and so um, the Russian comes out and says, hey, you're not ready to go yet, but we, you can come with us on this Lienov uh, Russian ship that's going to go out there to see Discovery. 
So uh, they they make a little deal basically and bring along uh, Kernow, who is played by John Lithgow, who was the Discovery's designer, the original Discovery's designer, who's basically the Scotty knows the system, so they need him. And yep. they bring along Doctor Chandra, Bob Balaban, who of course was in, you know, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, bunch of other stuff, but who is perfect, I think, here as the, he is the creator of HAL 9000. So they need somebody to go up and see what happened, what what went on, and what was all that business with HAL. And, um, do, you know who, do you know who the voice of Sal 9000 is? No, no, but I, who, it sounded familiar when I, when I watched it, and I didn't Can, know. Candace Bergen. Really? Oh, yep. okay. Well, yep. that kind of, that kind of makes sense. I mean, this, this was her time, her era a little bit. And yep. is she credited in the, in the movie or I guess um, she probably well, the voice is. of the cell was actually performed by Candace Bergen, but the role was credited to Olga Malznerd. Oh, I'm reading. <laughs> yeah. It's a pseudonym containing, combining the surname of Bergen's spouse, uh, director Lewis Mal and that of Mortimer Snerd. Her, one of her father's famous puppet characters. Well, her father was um, Edgar Bergen. He did. He was a puppet. Right, leader. right. I remember that. Okay. So anyway, they're going to go off on this mission to check out Discovery and uh, and see what happened. So um, and why don't you take over now and uh, continue with us? And uh... <clears throat> sure. Oh, excuse me. <clears throat> Sorry. Um, the Lania, the Lianov. But I want to talk about um first. I mean. Roy Scheider has got the coolest house of all time. Oh, oh my gosh, yes. He's yes. got a dolphin in his house. Yes. <laughs> I mean, it's like... And a cool aquarium. And, yeah. and, and he lives by the water. And Well, his wife is like a marine biologist. He's right. married to this uh, this younger woman. They have a little boy who's about five, I think, or so. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, but that little pool there with the dolphins swimming along, they're eating dinner. I just, it, yeah, you're right. They cool, actually, um, coolest house ever. Maybe Tony Stark a, just a little bit above that, but they built it um, atop the uh, saucer tank of MGM Studio, and then they put the dolphins in there, um, and they trained they were trained dolphins, I guess. But so it's a house was actually built on top of a tank, so that's pretty cool. I mean, I, I, I when I was a kid, I, I first of all when I was a kid, I loved Roy Scheider. I was like, I want I want I want to be Roy Scheider. I oh, know Roy why. Scheider was just the yeah. he, he was he was just cool. I mean, he he was in a lot of great stuff and, Jaws, and, and just you know. always seemed like a real solid guy and yeah. uh, and a solid actor. And I, I just oh, I, I just thought he was just I, I just yeah he was great. I was a big Roy Scheider fan. I was like, he he's he's kind of tall, kind of skinny. I'm I'm skinny. You know, maybe, maybe I could be Roy Scheider someday. You know. And he's got but, the best tan beyond like. Uh, oh my God. Beyond George uh, Hamilton. Yes, that's what I was gonna say. There's George Hamilton's tan, and then there's Roy Scheider's tan. Yeah, I mean, he just. <laughs> my God, the guy is like he's, you know. He's I, leathery. Yes, he is leathery. But he, he was a cool. I mean, he passed away a few years ago, but. Yeah. He, well, he was in Sequest. You know, come on. Yeah. yeah. That's one of the. That's what sucked me into that show. I'm like Roy Scheider. I'm in. Yeah. Well, all right, you're. You're. I'm right there with you. I mean, I, I was like that. That was. That was ninety percent of the reason. That and Steven Spielberg basically were what got me to start watching that when it came out. So. Yeah. So the the, the Lyonov uh, gets to Jupiter and he's got to do. You got to drink some vodka and say it like you know. Yeah. Like the, you, you wear a hat, you know, and Moscow is cold in the winter. <laughs> I thought you were going to call it the Titov. Uh, we changed name last month. We changed people, name. That's good in Pravda. The, yeah. Yeah, in Pravda. That will look very good in Pravda. Um, 
And so they wake him up. They wake up. They they have to uh, sleep on the way to uh, Jupiter because again, it's like a long way. Eighteen yeah. months to get there. Whatever. Yeah. Um. So they wake him up because they've uh, detected uh, the presence of chlorophyll on Jupiter's moon Europa, which is odd because Ju- Europa is all frozen. It shouldn't be no no chlorophyll there. <laughs> I love the scene where. You know, he's awake and he's like looking at the data and they're just like sort of like, you know, not talking to him. And he's like, you know, what's going on? And they're like, stuff is really bad on Earth. He's like, yeah, whatever. Okay, uh, it's moving. You know, he's like more, he's way interested. He doesn't care about the blockade or any of that stuff. You know, it's just, it's just yeah. a funny scene where he's very frustrated with them. And, you know, they're like, we're going to launch a probe. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he he's very very animated in this, you know, yes, he is. And, and and it works real well because the Russians are these like somewhat stiff, you know, pr- presented as these sort of stiff cosmonaut types, very by the book, and he's this yeah. crazy kind of American kind of guy. He's not really an astronaut per se, anyway. He's a but, scientist. Yeah, he's but... a scientist, and, and and they're scientists too, and I. And I like that he always is pushing them and saying, you know, I don't care what's happening on Earth. We're out here. It doesn't matter. You know, that the right. politics doesn't matter to us. And uh, so it's we got to, you know, yeah. yeah, yes, exactly. Exactly. It's very Arthur C. Clarke. Yep. Yep. Um, so they send a probe down to look at it. And it's a pretty cool, um, some pretty cool effects there. I mean, they got this mm-hmm. probe yep. going over Europa and it's like very icy and it it's finding is coming towards the source. If you see a little bit of green and then like an energy burst hits the probe and like, just sends it flying, you know, yeah. towards Jupiter. It burns up, um, and that's what, like that's what shoots the signal to, towards Earth at that point, right? Isn't no, that, that is actually that what happens, or was is that is that the next for, time? That's the next time. Yeah. yeah they, okay, the next yeah. one. Okay. So then they do this to uh, slow down. Uh, they oh, have, they, yeah, the arrow breaking. The arrow breaking, and they have like these big balloons. And they're going to go into the upper layer of Jupiter's atmosphere. And Another uses... very hard science thing yeah. that's just cool. I, I, and, it's, and that's yeah. some real cool visual stuff where, like, a shot of the ship kind of burning, and then there's Jupiter and, like, a moon, and very, very pretty. Um, yeah, and I love the little uh, the little um, uh, Russian girl, whichever one yeah. she is. They're, all the Russians are pretty forgettable, really. There's a couple of them that kind of stand out, but... But she comes, Roy Scheider's in his bunk there, and he's getting kind of bracing himself for the whole arrow breaking thing. And she kind of comes up, taps the, the little, yeah. you know, can I come in? And, and, and she's just basically like, well, they could all die when, the, when this right. thing happens. They could either burn up or it'll work. It's, there's like, they got to hit it just at the right angle. And so she goes in, he kind of like puts his arm around her, holds her tight, and then they go through that whole thing. And he, she kind of gives him a quick little kiss on his cheek when after she leaves. I just thought that was a great little thing to do. I, yeah. ju- I just thought it made sense to me. It works. so. And then so again, that, that, that's the thing about the whole Russian versus American thing. They kind of put it past him for that. Well, yeah. we all might die here. Well, so I guess it doesn't really matter, you know, what country you're from. Yeah. So they wake up after that. They, they, they make it around the planet. They slow down. They wake up. Uh, Dr. Kerr now, and they wake up Chandra, and then <clears throat> they find the discovery, you know, sort of spinning in between. Which is great. Yeah, it's just it's just spinning on end because nothing's stopping it. it right. Just, you know, just keeps it's, spinning. Yeah, it's sort of in the middle between, like, Jupiter and Io. Mm-hmm. And it's, so they um, they, bo- they go on board it, um, 
and Kurnow starts to ship up, and Chandra starts up Hal. Um, yeah, I like the part where he pulls off his helmet. It's only like a hundred below here. Oh, like like Russia in winter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, that Max guy. Yeah, yeah Max, uh, which so is the, who turns up in like whenever they need a Russian. I'm trying to find that actor's name. Uh, I'll find it here in a second. Elia. Yeah, Elia Beskin. Yes, yes. He's been in a bunch of stuff. He's been in James Bond movie. He's been in a few things. Um. Also, you know, nearby is that monolith that, you know, at the end of 2001 that yeah. Dave Bowman flew into and never still, was... Still hanging out there by Jupiter, yep. Yeah. But th- so then the Max character, the only other memorable, the only memorable Russian, really, <laughs> decides to, they go, they put him in a pod, sort of like the one that was on... Don't go, uh, Max. Don't go. Right. He goes over to the monolith, but uh, it... Apparently, this is what happens: is the monolith opens to uh, allow Dave Bowman to return to Earth as a being of pure energy, but at the same time, Max is out there and he gets swept away and yeah. never hear from him again. Yeah. And then on Earth, Poor Max. Uh, yeah, he uh, on Earth he's, he he says goodbye to his um, his widow, his 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 wife, and he also uh, visits his mother who's dying in a nursing home and brushes her hair. Right. That she dies. So he's doing his goodbyes because he knows that there's a, something else is going on. Right. Happens. Yes. Something wonderful. Yeah. And then, so then uh, Dr. Chandra discovers what happened with Hal in the first movie is that the, the National Security Council ordered the computer to conceal from Discovery's crew the fact that the mission was about the monolith. This conflicted with Hal's basic function of open, accurate processing of information, causing him to suffer a paranoid mental breakdown. This was done without Floyd's knowledge, even though he, the order bears his signature. Mm-hmm. So, you know, technically it was his fault, even though he really didn't know about it. Yeah. Um, so they get Hal going again. They get Discovery going again. And, yep. and there, are, um, there are tensions that are still kind of rising. Right. Because, and then this. Yeah, go ahead. It, Sorry. Um, yeah, so then their their respective um, governments contact them and tell them that they have to, that the Americans have to get off of the Leonov and no Russians can be on the Discovery because they're pretty much at a state of war. Um, yeah, back home they kind of, like, a couple of incidents happened where some Russians got killed and some Americans and then, yeah, so they're... So they're, they're not going to... Go to your own ship, basically. Exactly. So yeah. they're not going to... They're planning on staying there for a few weeks until the launch window opens where they can uh, go back to Earth. But Dave right, the Bowman... Optimum, appear, optimum yeah. point, whatever, for fuel and everything, yeah. So Dave Bowman appears uh, and tells Floyd that he got to get the hell out of here within two days. Yeah, which is a little bit of a big shock. I mean, Roy Scheider plays that really well. Yeah. He, he, he kind of... He's in this chair and he kind of turns... And he sees him, and, and and then he has to kind of follow him. I think, and then, yeah. and then, and then it's like, uh, uh, how can you be here? <laughs> you know, like, well, it go, he goes through all those same kind of changes. Like in two thousand one, he's right old, and he's semi he tells, old, and he's really old, right? Yeah, yep. He tells him that something wonderful is going to happen. Yeah, so, boy, uh, just you couldn't just flat out tell me that Jupiter's going to be, you know, pretty much sucked into. Uh, 
you know, yeah. uh, what happens to it. But I mean, yeah, no, no, you just tell me something wonderful. Okay, right. yeah. So he goes back over Leona. Be that Leona. way, Mr. Bowman. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, really. What a jerk. Yeah, what you, a you, jerk. Well, at you, least he you, at least he warned him. He basically you, says you need to leave within two days, or yeah, you you hire of all beings in your you know caginess. Yes, exactly. Um, yeah. So he goes over to the Yelp Leonov. He tells the captain, he's like, listen, we got to get out of here. She's like, what, what, what? I'm not going anywhere. And then they look out the window and the monolith is gone. So, okay. <laughs> yeah, and I think they played that scene pretty well. I was really, yeah. um, you know, there's there's not a lot of like basically time where you see these crews together, you know, but but there's sort of a mutual respect eventually. Right. And, and it's like, she, the thing about that scene that I, I, you know, thought was interesting was that he doesn't try to even, he doesn't even say, oh, yeah, Dave Bowman appeared to me and said something's going to happen. Right. It's like he doesn't even say that. He says, you just got to trust me. I just know we need to get out of here within two days. And, and it, it's more of like the trust factor. And I think it was a good way to play it. And the fact that he's American, she's Russian, and that they've, you know, grown to kind of respect and trust each other enough that, of course, the monolith disappearing helps a little bit. And like, right. uh, maybe we should get out of here. Yeah. So they decide they're going to um, use the discovery as a booster rocket for the Lyanov so that the, the, mm-hmm. they can launch with right, the discovery. They're going to super glue the two ships yeah. together, basically, you know, right. And, uh, and then yeah. they'll, they'll push discovery, use discovery to push the Lyanov and, and then the Lyanov will go the rest of it. So yeah. on its own. And at the same time, they see a um, spot on Jupiter, uh, and when they look at it closer, they find out that it's made up of a ton of monoliths that are multiplying Right, very fast. This little black spot gets bigger, 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 which I always loved. I thought that was a great scene yeah. and a great use of the monolith. I'm like, oh my gosh, it can, it can do that. It's doing something to Jupiter. It's pretty much pulling all its mass in. I'm like, oh, I, could, I guess I can figure out what's going to happen. Yeah, so... Um, one of the things they're concerned about is that if they tell Hal the truth, um, they're afraid that Hal will, you know, not do it because he'll probably, he's going to be, he's going to get destroyed. Mm -hmm. Um, but so, so Dr. Chandra is telling him that, no, 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 you're just, everything's going to be fine. But then he, the launch is counting down and then he, Hal's keep, keeps asking him, you know, Really, uh, I, I think we should delay the countdown to, to study this this interesting thing on Jupiter, and mm-hmm. yeah. and he finally just tells him the truth. We have to leave, and then Hal's like, "Okay, uh, thanks for telling me the truth. Uh, good luck." <laughs> and yeah, uh, and and complete- I think that shows you know Chandra and, and Hal have this kind of like special kind of relationship and trust, and that Hal at this point has been Hal was always okay. Hal is still okay now. And and given all the information, you know, he is he is more than happy and willing to, you know, let the others continue and basically sacrifice himself for the people right. for the for for the mission. Of course he did Dr. Chandra did delete Hal's memory of uh, the events on the Discovery. So. Yeah, well, yeah. you know, it's, it, you know, <laughs> just get rid of the fact that you offed all those other guys and everything, and you went a little wacko. Yeah, but but you're good now. So uh, yeah, so they have the launch. Um, Bowman appears to Hal and tells him that their mission was a success and tells him that something wonderful is going to happen. And Hal tells Bowman that he's afraid. And Bowman says, don't be, and that they'll be together where he is now. Um, and in the book, especially, it's pretty clear that he takes Hal's AI from Discovery before it's destroyed. Um, 
And who so does that? That uh, they, Bowman, they Bowman does. Bowman does yeah. Ah, that's right. Okay, yeah, yeah. And the um, the oh, I was gonna also say that uh, you know during this in the movie that there's this little uh, device that um, that Floyd comes up with to basically disconnect Hal, if, and he has it tied oh, into yeah, like yeah. his calculator. Do and, square root, yeah. yeah. It's like type in three sixes, do the square root. Trip, yeah. you know, it's like, can't you just type in a code, a PIN number? <laughs> but anyway, he's got this device to disconnect Hal if necessary. And there's a little scene where Chandra finally gets back to um, the Leonov when they're leaving, and he tosses him the device. Basically, they never had it. It was never really in place. The Chand- yeah. Chandra discovered it, so they never had that little safety uh you know switch for turning hal off if they needed it so i knew you would do something like this yes exactly <laughs> right so he's he he the last order that bowman tell, gives to hal is um to re- repeat a message to earth mm-hmm. um and the mess well so while that's happening um jupiter finally reaches critical mass or whatever and it implodes and it becomes a basically a star and uh the message that gets broadcast to earth is all these worlds are yours except europa attempt no landing there use them together use them in peace um oh i want to go to europa then okay let's go there okay come on exactly (laughs) i'm like what's there why don't you want us to go there (laughs) So, you know, there's a whole little end scene where Dr. Floyd is talking about how, you know, to his son that your children, you will never, your children will never know a a black night and a world without two stars. And it shows, you know, I guess the implication is that, you know, it sort of helps heal some of the problems on Earth because they stop fighting. Yeah. Well, they're, they're, um, yeah, I mean, they're, and it brings, I mean, I guess, I guess at this point in time, even with the events that happened in 2001, you know, this idea of this higher intelligence somehow brings the world together is, is what they imply. And, and that, uh, and everyone's all happy, you know, which, yeah, I guess I could see that, you know, I mean, it it maybe is a bit of a reach, you know, I can, I can almost buy all the other crazy stuff that happens more in the movie than the fact that, uh, just by having Jupiter turn into a star would make everyone on Earth stop fighting. <laughs> I'm like, I think people are kind of stupid sometimes yeah. still. And so. the, the book, the book has a little bit of a, a little more detail, a little bit different ending where, um, after the new star is created, uh, which Earth names Lucifer, by the way, in the books, mm-hmm. um, discoveries destroyed. Uh, in appreciation for Hal's help, Bowman has the aliens who control the monoliths remove his core and transform him into the same kind of life form that Dave Bowman is, and he, they become companions. Mm-hmm. Um, the book has a brief epilogue, which takes place in 20,001. 20, By this time, the Europans have evolved into a species that developed a primitive civilization, most likely with assistance from a monolith. They are not described in detail, but they are told to have tendril-like limbs. They regard the star Lucifer as their primary sun, referring to our sun as the cold sun. Though their settlements are concentrated primarily in the hemisphere of Europa, which is uh, facing Lucifer, some Europans have begun to explore the far side. Um, and they So they uh these Europeans believe that Lucifer was not always there. They believe the cold sun was its brother and mm-hmm. was condemned to march around the sky for its crime. Oh, yeah, I, re- uh, I remember that a bit now. Yeah, because I've read these books too. It's just been a while. Yeah. 
Um, they were humans were attempting to explore Europa uh, since 2010. However, none of the attempts was successful. Every probe was destroyed. Um, it is later shown in the other books that manned spacecraft that attempt to land have been diverted by an external force. Uh, the debris falls to the planet, and the debris from the uh, first ships to be dis- destroyed is venerated by the Europans. So, and there is a monolith on the planet which is worshipped by them more than anything. Uh, Dave Bowman and Hal lie dormant in this monolith. So, which you do see in the movie, right? There, there is a yeah. monolith on on Europa that they show. Yes, uh, it shows sort of Europa thawing out, and then like eventually, it's like right. a swamp. It has some kind like, of like vegetation, and yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's the end. Yeah. So, I mean, it gets pretty like the books again. The, uh, there's always more detail, but I, I, I uh, but this anyway. is a good movie. You know, yeah, I, it, it is it, good. It's it's much more of a typical kind of sci-fi movie, I think, than than obviously 2001. Uh, yeah. And but it's still got a lot of those elements in there. And you know, 2001. Even in nineteen, you know, early nineteen eighties, was still a, a pretty classic, well thought of film. So it sure. had that sort of stigma or that concern that, oh, hmm, you're gonna make a sequel to that. And you know, <laughs> Arthur C. Clarke had written the book. You know, right. unlike with with two thousand and one, where they kind of did it together to a degree, even though he had the short story ahead of time. Here, he had wrote the book a couple of years before this movie, so. It was laid out pretty well, um, so and it you know this wasn't just somebody else taking what Clark had started and going off and, and messing around with it. This was still his the way he wanted to continue the story. Yeah, absolutely. I, I that's why I kind of prefer it a little bit, but um, yeah, and I, I and I think it works. It it it, yeah. it it all kind of mushes and meshes together real well. I, I think yeah. it, it makes sense, and 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 just I, I I love I really like the idea of you know Jupiter being you know these cold moons out there. Now Jupiter's this star that can you know those places that are further out. Some of those places can support life where they didn't have the you know the energy from the sun. They were too far away. Yeah. Even though, you know, I'm not an astronomer or, you know, enough of a space scientist to understand the implications of turning Jupiter into <laughs> a star, basically, right. a small, small star, and what that would do to the rest of the solar system. <laughs> it, it, it's got to do some things, and, and not just the, the very, you know, part of it is, is how much it would mess up some things on Earth, you know, yes. with with the additional energy, light you know just messing you know everything up i i just i don't know i i I think they kind of i don't remember did they is that discussed in this book or the next one much at all yeah especially 2061 they certainly talk about well why not anyway what else do you want to say anything more about this Um, film or is it just that that um everything that was made for 2001 a space odyssey was destroyed by stanley kubrick Mm-hmm. Every set, every model, so they had to rebuild everything from from scratch. And yeah, that's a good point. In Discovery, everything there, obviously, Discovery is the biggie of yeah. the sets there, Hal, the pods, um, everything the there. Model, the actual physical model of the ship, it was all destroyed. Yeah, I love how they find it all kind of covered in like sulfur Dust. and orange Sulf- from Io, you know, bursting and blowing all this crap on it all over for for all the years it was floating out there so that's very cool um 
Yeah, some some fans complained that the Discovery in 2010 doesn't match the one in 2001. But listen, they only had was pictures, uh, <laughs> you know. But I mean, it's so go with to, it. I thought it looked pretty much the same. <laughs> he didn't want it showing up in some other stuff, showing up in some other cheesy sci-fi movie. So yeah, which they used to do that a lot. You know, they sure did. They used to do that a lot. So um, yeah, I mean, I saw this one in the theater when it came out, and I and I can still remember being very happy and impressed with it. I, I liked it a lot, and it was pretty well regarded from critics. It didn't do very well at the box office; it didn't make a lot of money. No. But uh, but you know, it was it was it was most people were pretty okay with it. From, I think so. From what I've you know, what I'm reading here and what I've heard over the years, so uh, they certainly well, tried to treat the source material with respect you know this this was not just slapped together they got some good talent and, and i think it shows yeah um also there was a blue spaceship sorry blue spacesuit on discovery um it was never used it was just sort of in the background it was used on babylon five episodes babylon squared and war without end the one that um i think that commander sinclair wears i don't remember oh okay all right um and uh, the the roy shotters on the beach using his little computer that was an apple 2c (laughs) oh yeah that computer that he's he's banging on this big monster thing sitting on the beach yeah Yeah. 128 bytes uh, kilobytes of memory uh two serial ports well all the computer gear that they use in this you know even when he's at the uh at that place he's working at it where floyd's working you know and and typing in these coordinates and stuff um because that's what the Russians it, it tells them, you know. He tells them that right. Discovery's orbit is is messed up or something, or it's gonna it's gonna you know fall into the to the to Io or something like that. So, yeah. and also there's a poster in his kid's room with an Olympic runner that says Beijing 08, which is pretty amazing that they figured that out, even though they didn't decide that they were gonna have it in Beijing until July of 2001. So that's pretty impressive. <laughs> Ah, I that that's a good piece of trivia, boy. Yeah. I, I I I'm not up on how far in advance they they decide Olympics and things, huh? Yeah. Interesting. Yes. Yeah. But um, so there were two more books in this series that sort of wrap it up. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Well, go ahead. Yeah. Give us one, your uh, quickie rundown yeah. of those. One is um, one is uh first is called uh, 2061 uh Odyssey three, um. Uh, 2060, in uh, 2061, at the age of 103, Haywood Floyd is chosen as one of several celebrity guests to come aboard the private accord, come aboard the privately owned space liner Universe for the first ever human landing on the surface of Halley's Comet when it makes its periodic pass through the solar system. Um, meanwhile, a team of scientists on Ganymede, which is uh, orbiting Lucifer, it used to be Jupiter. Uh, are terraforming it for potential habitation. Um, uh, Galaxy uh, nears Europa. Stewardess uh, attempts to single-handedly hijack the uh, the uh, galaxy. What, am I, what the heck am I reading here? <laughs> Sorry. Anyway, it, it, there's a lot of. It's a good. I don't want to really read the whole. No, 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 don't. Uh, I mean, it's basically. But it, it involves. It involves. Um, it eventually involves a mission to Europa, right? Yes, yes, yes. It does. that's the that's the big thrust of it that I recall. Yeah, and, uh, and yeah, which was like like I was joking with earlier, like stay away from Europa. You can do anything else you want, stay away from Europa, and of course they don't. So and and his son Christopher is in it. Um, he's a part of the scientists mm-hmm. on Ganymede. Um, 
the, the shit, it's pretty cool how they describe what I really like about this book, some of the scientific aspects. Um, mm-hmm. uh, they use their, their, their propulsion is water. Um, they have big water tanks that they use to actually propel the ship, and they actually swim in the. Uh, there's a scene I remember in the book where they go swimming in their little water tanks. Oh, they, okay, yes, I remember yeah. that now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, it's 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 good, and uh, I I enjoyed it. And then the the final Odyssey, right? Three thousand and one. Three thousand and one. And the crazy thing in three thousand and one is that Frank, way back in two thousand one, who got killed by Hal and went floating off into Yeah, the, Gary Mitchell, Frank Frank Poole, right. They find his body and they bring him back to life. <laughs> yeah. Just like that. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, um, and, it, and it's sort of about his his adventures, I guess you could call it, right? Right. They describe in the beginning of the book they do describe the aliens that created the monoliths. Yes, or, yeah. Um, right. Evolved from primordial soup and over the course of millions of years. That good old primordial soup. Mmm, yep. good, good food. Mm. So as they're going around the universe, they saw that very few intelligent species ever successfully evolved. Therefore, they traveled the universe and catalyzed the evolution of intelligent species wherever they went, including Earth, by increasing the evolving species' odds of survival. On reaching Earth, they performed experiments on many species to encourage the development of intelligence. Then they left, leaving their monoliths behind. After visiting the Earth, the extraterrestrials continued to evolve, eventually to the point where they found a way to impress themselves into the fabric of space and time, becoming non-corporeal beings. Meanwhile, back in the solar system, the, anal- the alien monoliths continued to watch over humanity. However, sometimes the monoliths were prone to degenerating and acting independently of their in original programming. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. yeah. So, after that little prologue, it's about Frank Poole uh, being freeze-dried, apparently. Um, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but they found him in the Kuiper Belt. Now, way out there by by uh, by Neptune. Uh, yeah, by well, you know, he was just kind of floating around. So, but yeah, a human spaceship finds him. They bring him back to life, and they they they, uh, they take him back to uh, to Earth. Um, and there's all kinds of cool technology, like a brain cap, which is you know, brain computer interface technology. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Yeah, this book came out in the late '90s, I believe, yeah. and. Uh, yeah. So uh, yeah. yeah, they're they're all they're all fun reads. They're all good reads. They're not super long books, and and no. you know they're 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 tight and uh, and 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 they're well. Uh, you know, but, if you haven't read some of Arthur C. Clarke, you know, pick some of these up. Some of his other stuff. I always loved Rendezvous with Rama. You know, yeah. that was a favorite. Oh of yeah, mine. that's that. And Morgan Freeman has been trying to make that into a movie for a very long time. Well, he should because that 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 book is is. You know, sometimes you'll read a book, and you know this is not modern books. I don't really count in this. You know, recent books because I think everyone writes a book thinking it could be made into a movie. But right. when I read that book, you know, many, many, many years ago, I said this move, this book would be an awesome movie. I just mean, to see it, that it, cool it, ship, that big yeah. It's just got ship. so many great moments and scenes in it. So anyway, we're spinning captain, off but it's yeah, arthur but they, c clark so yeah, there's some good characters the captain of that book is a very cool character there's a lot yeah. of cool no there's just it's, it's just a perfect uh, it to me it's just it's just a, a really great book and story to put on to the screen i mean i just yeah, yeah so i've heard years Ender's, they've yeah they've talked about I thought that about um ender's game all those years ago and they've, it's only just coming out now so yeah well can you know on top of all the 
crappy controversy about it. But anyway, yeah. You know, Ender's Game, before all the talk and everything, you know, and the controversy stuff, but, you know, I, re- I read it, you know, a while back, quite a while back before all that came out. And I like the book quite a bit. But yeah. I mean, I wasn't like it, it isn't like way way up there for me. I mean, it's it's a good book. It's a good solid story and book. But I don't know. I that's one of those that I, that maybe I got a little colored by people saying, "Oh, you got to read this. You got to read this." And I I didn't wait that long. I didn't think. But anyway, it, I was a kid, yeah. so I think it kind of impacted me more because it was about kids, and I was a kid when I read. It's a cool it, story. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's a it's so a I cool story. But it's it's a book. I think all I think a lot of kids should read. I think it's like. Uh, it's just it's pretty cool. Anyway, it it's like be the sci-fi movie. Hunger Games, you know, in a way or whatever. It really, I mean, it really, in a, in a way, is, except, yeah. Except, except better. I think. Yeah, except better. <laughs> but anyway, yeah. So, so, um, yeah. Arthur C. Clarke, two thousand one, ten. You know, twenty sixty <laughs> one, three thousand, three thousand and one. Hell, yeah. It, it's 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 really good. I mean, it's you, you don't get a nice solid you know kind of hard sci-fi series like this very much we don't really have that much around and uh and and this is this is a unique you know set of things that uh, is is fun to watch you know and and it's um i just you know when you think about when 2001 was made and when it came out i mean i just that, that still just boggles my mind it really so, it really does so I mean, many just... things in there that have kind of become tech that we use and 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 just the look of it the way they they presented space travel and everything so yeah it's pretty uh it's uh, i i'm always amazed when i watch and and it's really just like doug this douglas trumbull i mean it was just learning how to do this stuff and make it look real i mean and just taking the time to do it really is all it comes down to and yeah i mean the fact that they did it all basically you know without computers i mean this this is this is done with you know the good old models and and film and And matte paintings yep and matte paintings yep just like a lot of what happened in the early star wars films so um so that it and it it really set the stage for some of that so uh definitely influenced things yeah i i and and i like i was i said earlier on uh, in the podcast, uh, try to get get the collected short stories of Arthur C. Clarke. It gives you a great taste for it. Um, read these read these books. These books um, are quick reads. I mean, they're very they they're very readable. Like you can really mm-hmm. yeah not no that's what I was not like yeah they're not like you would think of as being super dense. You know what I mean? He's Arthur C. Clarke doesn't really write like that. Where it's like no things happen, he, things move. Yeah. You know it, the the chapters aren't super long. That you know, like I said, I mean the you know they're a couple two three hundred pages stuff like that. Yep. I mean they're they're just they're really um they're really fun to read. I can remember reading one of them. I don't know which one it was, but I'll I used to when I was and I'm starting to get back into traveling for work a little bit. But I used to when I was uh, years ago when I was traveling a lot and especially traveling by plane, you know, I used to have to, you know, I'd always have books with me to read. And I read one of these, I think it was 2061 pretty much on a, on a, on a plane flight. Yeah. (laughs) I I think I'm, I think I might've done the same thing, you know, because I used to fly to Florida to come down here and visit before I lived here to visit my family. And I'm, I think, yeah, I think I was a plane book for me too, because it is a quick read. But anyway, um, uh, yeah, great stuff. Um, fun to fun to finally cover them on the podcast. Uh, you know, I'm glad to do it with someone else too, because this is not a. It, it 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 it's good to get other people's you know thoughts on it and, and take and things and uh, and I I just um, 
you know, they're fun. I want to go watch, you know, I watched 2010 last night. Maybe I'll watch 2001. Well, it's getting kind of late here, but maybe tomorrow yeah. night. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's good. I like the idea, too, of, you know, aliens out there, you know, kind of poking around with us. <laughs> Something about that. But in a good way, you know, in a, yeah. in, in a good way. I always, you know, I get a little dis- disappointed by, I, I had this thing for a while where, how come everyone else and all these aliens want to kill us? You know, and there's still a little of that on television shows, on movies and stuff. But why? I, I have a sometimes I have a hard time with that. I'm like, okay, these 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 whatever they are are smart enough to come here. They're smart enough to be able to do that from vast distances. You really think they're gonna come here because they want our women? They want our water? They want our Twinkies? What? I mean, really, really? I don't think so. I think if they wanted water, they could probably find it. I yeah. Mean, hydrogen, well, those hydrogen. are the ones I love. The The ones I love are the ones where they come here and they want something, some kind of element, water, you know, gold, whatever we've got. I, I'm like, did you just not see all those asteroids you just passed yeah. on the way here exactly. or, or whatever? <laughs> I mean, how ubiquitous is hydrogen in the galaxy? And, and yeah, yeah I, I, I just, I, I you know, if you I can don't... make a ship, you can probably formulate water from hydrogen and a tube, you know. Yeah, I, I, I just, I just always. That's what I've always admired about play authors like Arthur C. Clarke and 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 Asimov and Heinlein and and and, and several others too. But I mean, they just like. You know, it, they're really probably not going to be like that. <laughs> it, it doesn't make much sense. It just doesn't, no. you know. So yeah. Uh, I agree. Yeah, but it does makes for fun movies. You know? Oh yeah, no, I go see those things. I, I enjoy seeing that stuff. Just with the, but I I want a little balance. You know, I, I I'd love to, I'd love to, and they they've tried to do it a little bit here. You know, the day the Earth stood still when they remade that a few years back. Um, you know, they've they've tried occasionally to have you know you know aliens that weren't out to get us completely oh man i don't even rem- i saw that remake but it's like i saw it once and oh it wasn't I, no i i don't uh, mean it was a great thing i was just using that and i mean even yeah. the original movie at, at more, the original movie is incredible that, more of it as a guide but you know that was the classic of the alien comes he's actually coming in peace but we're we're all freaking out you know Starman. yep yep that too so um but anyway, Chris, it was good to right. talk to you about this. Uh, hang on for a second, but we'll wrap the podcast up. Everyone, thanks so much for listening this week. And um, for Chris and I, that's about it. I guess uh, I'm losing my voice now. <laughs> <laughs> the tea ran out a while ago. So um, take it easy, everyone. Go watch one of these. You'll enjoy it if you haven't seen it in a while or ever. Bye-bye. Bye.
This has been a Rick Dusty podcast production.